In a world where horrid stenches and piercing screams come not from the realms of fantasy, but from the nightmare of reality. Come two heroes bonded by love and the kind of desperation only parents can know. No, God, please, no, no, no! Behold, RPGs and Baby Makes Three, the greatest podcast in the history of all podcasts by parents who have made a podcast about being gamers with a baby. Did I mention it's a podcast? Here are your hosts, Gretchen Hilmers and Rob Hessler. Edition Wars. And that's right. This is Edition Wars. RPGs and Baby Makes 3. Finally, after months of trying to make this happen, we finally gathered up a number of folks to talk about the various editions. Four. Four editions? No, four folks. Well, still, four folks. That's a lot. Do we count? So six? So six. Okay, okay. six folks. So yeah, let me just say, first of all, thanks to Chris and Andre. Chris is from England, and Andre is in Norway. And the two of them, and Gretchen and I, talked about AD&D 2nd Edition. Yeah, I stumbled through that one. Stumbled through that one. And also some of the earlier editions as well. <laughs> kind of put them all together. <laughs> oh, I stumbled through all the editions. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you say I stumbled through them like a toddler? Like a drunk kender, <laughs> which is so kind a of a toddler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Amanda Plagman, our frequent guest and sort of third member of our podcast team for coming on to talk 3.5 and Pathfinder. And then finally, thanks to Kat Valentine, a member of Nerd Asylum and a big time part of the Savannah gaming community. Rob, Rob it, okay, if we're talking about Kat, it was seven folks because her son made an appearance. That's right. Her son, who's also named Lincoln, like our son, made an appearance. And she talked fifth edition with us. So thanks to all of them for coming on. And this is one, this is like a D100 of an episode. Like, you know the big, fat golf ball size D100? Yeah, I got you one, and it just keeps rolling across the floor until it bumps into it's something It's so and stops. cool, and I rarely use it because <laughs> it's so impossible to use. Um, and also, you could, like, accidentally kill yourself by hitting your, you know, you could, I mean, well, it's yeah, a weapon. You step on that, and you're Yeah, gonna, seriously, yeah. you're doing a D100 damage if you throw that at somebody. So, yes, this episode's going to be almost three hours long, so <laughs> bear with us. But it is an addition war. You be the judge. Listen up. And if you can tell me how many times I say Thacko in this episode, I'll figure out something cool for you. Okay. Yes. All right. If somebody tells us how many times you say Thacko in this episode accurately, then we will give them a prize. Yeah. Send us an email, RPGs and Baby Makes 3. And before we get started, I just want to ask you all a 
favor, go on and subscribe to our podcast. Subscribe on YouTube. I'm not going to beg. I'm begging. Please go do it. Please. (laughs) Please. Please, 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 please. please. (laughs) Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. (laughs) You know, subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, whatever it is. And leave us a five-star review because that really does help. It gets the message out there to people. If you like this podcast, then, you know, it's better if more people listen to it. We can do more and it helps us get other guests and stuff like that, which we do have some. But let's get into this week's episode here. There's just a lot of beef. It's a whole cow. This is a huge beef. I mean, this is like a beefalo. This is a, a beefalo. beefalo. <laughs> What's <laughs> even mean? Nobody knows. I don't even know what that means. No one knows what it means, but it's provocative. No, it's not. It's it gets gross. the people going. It's it's no, that's enough! We're going to start. We're going to go in order. We're going to start with AD&D 2nd Edition and the earlier editions. We will go to 3.5 in Pathfinder, and we will finish on 5e. Enjoy, people. Edition Wars. Advanced Dungeons and Dragons 2e. Edition Wars, second edition, and to a certain extent, all OSR games. We are representing them right now. And, of course, along with Gretchen and I, we have Andre, who is in Norway, and... Chris, you're in somewhere in England. I'm not sure where in England. Middle. Middle England. Okay. And uh, I play, we play, um, uh, Chris, Andre and I play in a game which I often talk about. It's such an awesome Ice Barbarian second edition game that um, we've been we talking playing. about it all the time. It's my favorite game. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha notes. It's my favorite game. So exciting. He's just he's so into it. It's like a little boy. Listening to a little boy talk about a game. Loves it. You're embarrassing the best me. The thing in the world is to listen to somebody talk about their game. Oh. You're not playing in. <laughs> you know what? Um, the three million people who watch Critical Role every week would would disagree with that sentiment even though i know you're being sarcastic when you say it i can't watch i can't i can't do it i try i've tried but i really can't listen to actual plays because it just makes me want to play the game like i just feel like where's my character i want to roll some dice you know let's get going you know i agree to an extent but i think that some people do it as like it you, you listen to it and it sounds like just radio like radio theater. I don't know if you say that in English, but we have that here anyway. Like yeah, old school. Play. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But then other people do it and you can hear the dice and they're more like around the table. Then you want to play, I think. True enough. True enough. And I think that Critical Role does a decent job of making it seem a little bit radio-y play because they have the voice actors and stuff. But who cares about that crap? Because that's 5th edition and we're here to talk about why 2nd edition is the best edition of D&D. So let's dive right into it. First of all, Thacko. I mean, Thacko is the best thing ever. Right, Gretchen? I, I love it. <laughs> but then again, I usually don't play classes where it comes into play a lot. True enough, you're playing a wizard. So Thacko, for those who don't know, and if you don't know, then you should pick up a second edition book, is two-hit armor class zero, which was a mechanic that we, in second edition, well knew because it was descending armor class. Yeah. And um, which I love. So, yeah, that's what we're going to talk about that too. So now, Chris, I know you're an old school gamer. We're going to talk mostly about second edition, but I know you you really came up in first edition. In fact, you've been running us on a first edition module um, for the last little bit. There was no Thacko back in the day, though. There was just the big chart. Yes, 
otherwise known as the Matrix. The really? Gods. Yes, the attack, <laughs> the attack Matrix. Uh, uh, yeah, but I cut, I cut my teeth on basic D&D and then threw it up into, I think it was intermediate. And then my group, which were much older than me by a few years, were, you know, kicking off. They went to advanced first. And then by the time I came to an age where I really could run again, it was just developing into second. But the Armacast and the Thaco system ran throughout them and um, were reduced from a matrix into just a single number. And um, thus removing all the need to calculate over excessive armors. If you lost a bit of armor, you could just modify your armor class. If you improved, it just got better a bit. So uh, you didn't need to track how much armor damage took and things like that. So uh, uh, in a way, it was quite fluid, fluid, and was not necessary to have a, a hit location chart either, which I thought was just an extra ball ache. Well, and I think that that's that kind of hits on one of the core reasons why I think second edition is so good, and that's why we're talking about second edition as opposed to something like basic or first edition, mm. is that up until second edition and including second edition. It was all an extension of the original rule set. The it was it, it, it they're all essentially compatible. For example, and for those who are listening have listened to the podcast a lot, and I've been running I or I just recently ran Castle Amber for <laughs> my second edition my second edition AD and D group. And that's a basic set adventure, but they're compatible. There is nothing basic about that in story, though. <laughs> <laughs> Do you believe they were an interesting set of French writers as well? If memory serves me right, Castle Amber was written by a French. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's uh, the Averon archives yeah. and oh, now I'm. This is terrible. I I must know. Um, it's where we see the origins of Dungeons you didn't and tell Rob there'd be a test I know seriously yeah. there's uh, who told me I was going to have math on this uh, Clark Ashton uh, Clark Ashton Smith um, mm. and yeah it's all about it's based in France I mean the whole thing is based in France throughout these very dis, various very different cool. times yeah and so I mean but that's that's what some of the great things so by the time we got to second edition it had been like first of all second edition lasted for 12 years so you have a ton of material but also it was kind of like it had been play tested for 14 years before you even made it. It wasn't like something new. It was something, it was a polishing up of what had been practiced for so, so long and sort of a consolidation of all the rules, putting everything together in a way that was more comprehensible. So it's obviously the best one because it had the most research done on it. Mm. <clears throat> I'll, I'll say this though, because I know nothing about this. These old gentlemen are talking about ages bygone that I don't really know. Oh, sure, right, Andre. To. But <laughs> right, I got, I got into right, I got into Dungeons and Dragons when I was in my early twenties, I think, or like oh, really? Okay, late teens, early twenties. Um, through a friend, like black metal nerd, a uh, very strange <laughs> person, who had then anything occult, it would live in his bookshelf, and among those things were like the Dungeons and Dragons books, and they were like interesting, and we would sit around and look at them and then he started a game for us but when i started playing it then um which speaks to why i liked the second edition is that it felt like there was this endless library of information if you needed to add something to the story and you needed kind of lore or a mechanic or a system he had like 
piles and piles of dragon magazines. He had like a bazillion books and, and supplements and guides. And we could sort of cherry pick as we kind of built this dynamic story, what we needed from that. And that I thought felt like, wow, there's just, there's just so much written about this that even mm. if you don't like half of it, you still have an endless amount kind of. And that, that's what I felt was um, different from, you know, I heard about game and game systems and things. And you, I'd leave through. I even worked in a, in a video, uh, video game shop that had some role playing stuff, and I'd leave through the books, and it all seemed very limited and kind of a set of rules. But here was advanced Dungeons and Dragons with like just a trove of of text and information. I felt that was kind of magical about it. Yeah, and for sure, and it's like one of the great things about it is it's there's two two things I think that are really important about that is that one. Everything is optional, so you can pick and choose what you want to use for your campaign, and... So wait, that goes optional? Well, not that yeah. go. <laughs> Gretchen, you, don't have, to, actually, you don't have to attack. Uh, you're right, you're right. You're the right. exception to prove the rule, Gretchen, well done. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but all of the extra rules are optional, and then secondly, all of the rules are consistent to the base classes in the player's handbook. Compare that to later editions of the books, which actually change mechanics of character. So like if you think about, for example, like third edition and Pathfinder 3.5, they would add like almost new mechanics, like the character operates differently after that, after mm -hmm. they have this new mechanic. For the 99% of the material that came out for second edition that was like an add-on, it fit seamlessly into yeah. the standard character classes. You didn't yeah. need to learn a new rule set or under, like read, you didn't have to read the entire book. You could just read the kit that you wanted to play from one of the splat books, for example, or yeah. just read the new spells from Spells and Magic, for yeah. example. Yeah. You didn't need to take everything. Yeah, and that, even that, that's the that's, point. You don't need yeah. everything. The, the accessibility through bolt-on, bolt-on systems, and even if you didn't have a rule and you had a decent set of players in a GM, you could you'd make a bolt-on system yeah. to for that oddity that's occurring in your RPG. Uh, but it's know. funny. It's funny because it's like you know Lego techniques. I don't know if you have that overseas, but there's like Lego, and then there's Lego techniques. It's like. Meccano, plastic Meccano, you get like cogs and wheels and and uh, pneumatics, I don't know. You can kind of engineer your little car. And the, I felt like when we would, we would like, oh, this is cool. I saw this in Dragon 187. They had this fun little, I don't know, mechanic for, for like wounds or for um, critical hit systems or whatever. And you can mm. just add it. There yeah. wasn't like... You don't ha didn't have to change anything about the rest of the game. It just fit in like a neat little another cog in the in the machine, so to speak. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And you know, you make, bring up another great point, Andre. And I think that you kind of also hit on it with what you initially said, and that's that there is just an enormous amount of material for second edition for any flavor you could possibly imagine from ancient prehistory up to super sci-fi spaceships yeah. and castles and 
and underwater adventures and and you know yeah oh magic that's, stuff. that's the beauty the campaign the pan campaign worlds and the troves of worlds that are available in so many different settings throughout second edition dungeons and dragons everything from the ones we all know like ravenloft um alcadim all those things all the way through and then up into the stuff that you can create yourself and the individual game worlds like gray or Forgotten Realms, it's just all there, isn't it? And you can just pick and choose. Sorry to interrupt you. But if you're using this as like a plus to second edition, wouldn't later editions also have this treasure trove? Like doesn't five have this I treasure think, trove? I think it has lore-wise, but they, they had this, well, there's the copyright thing that made them kind of start from scratch, I think, somehow. I don't know how that works out. But they kind of had to start from scratch, new owners and things, and then they have a different mechanic, so all the all the players submitted content is kind of null and void, as far as as far as mechanics go, at least. And you know, they've tried to soften the rules up so it's more more generalized. I mean, all the all the different classes basically have like a free attack each round with the same hit probability through the through the various like cantrips or whatnot. <clears throat> so they. They turn it into a very different game mechanically, and that does not fit very well with all the second edition stuff, at least as mm. far as I know. Yeah, I think that that's a really, I think, Andre, you bring up a really good point. And I think to kind of address what you're saying, Gretchen, is that although third edition and on are still called Dungeons and Dragons, and they have a lot of familiar terms and things like that, they are essentially different games. After second edition, the way the game is played it, it changed pretty dynamically. They, they really did change it pretty dynamically from a class-based system into a skill-based system. Yeah. And, and, you know, you compare something like 5th edition and kind of every character is a precious snowflake to 2nd edition where you probably ought to have a backup ready because any moment <laughs> you could really die. I mean... Oh man, if Tick Tick dies, Rob. That's, yeah. It's going to be a very quiet night. Yeah, yeah. yeah, save or die. I mean, like those things, you know, and we're not talking three death saves. We're talking you're dead. <laughs> yeah, one roll of the die and you're dead. But, but that's the beauty of, of Dungeons & Dragons is that the original, the original conceptology was no permanent wounding. Magic is fantastic. No, mm. nothing, nothing can ever wound you forever. You can always be returned to life. Magic's so fantastical down the line. All the other characters and stuff that can resurrect characters, bring bring them back. And so the worry was always not to worry about the death of your character because there's always another one available, or it could always come back at some point. Mm -hmm, um, yeah. But as we saw, like depth and change. Not that I mean, this is to appreciate as well to say that we don't disappreciate other games. That aren't heavily mechanical you know we do appreciate the games as well but that just there's this was something we saw in dungeons and dragons second edition that was priceless to us uh, and the expansion from first into second also across classes there was significant change where the priest opened up the priest mm -hmm. became a whole new magical dimension where he became yeah. unrestricted from a base list of 20 spells to only casting spells based on what his religion or his mythos or his his, his things might appeal oh it, it was just such a good a good ev evolution it started off a bit squeaky clean but then as it progressed and learned more and players contributed more to the game it went back to its gritty first origins first edition origins i think awesome. and 
that's a good point also i think um second edition has this um i don't know fifth edition probably has it too but um in some sense but <clears throat> but when they included this immense pantheon of gods um into the world and then later planescape expanded on that everything was kind of interconnected in a way like like chris says like even if, even if you did die you always had the option to continue your, your campaign in some weird manner and i think fifth edition has has they have taken a little bit of that with them now that they um i know they have this descent into avernus module that they mm -hmm. published recently and they they clearly want to keep some of that aspect where you kind of i mean magic comes from somewhere and, and the gods live somewhere and and everything is somewhere like um it makes the world super three-dimensional and suddenly like the prayer isn't just like something you say but it's it has like uh i don't know it has like an envelope and, a, and an address and a stamp on it and it goes somewhere mm. and somebody brings it there you know i guess that is something beautiful about the game in the sense that it does offer to the players even back then the, the true thought that there is afterlife <laughs> that everybody is getting an afterlife no matter who you are and all the afterlifes are on the planescape and they're all perfectly associated to what alignment you are which brings you on to an alignment discussion but that some people would like to go to these places that other places other people want and these planes are infinite and you get your own little space to do what you want so it's like death is not the end yeah as you say yeah yeah for me yeah. as an atheist like originally at least an atheist growing up an atheist that was kind of uh that helped me kind of understand and sort of implement into my game uh religion and belief systems and gods uh, in a way that I can understand. Because I, I knew about Norse mythology, you know, that was very down-to-earth stuff. We, everybody knew the gods by their first name and where they lived sort of thing, and they were <laughs> quite, quite quite human in their behavior. Right. And then I like that the, the Pantheon in, well, basically, the Pantheon in Dungeons & Dragons is our Western and also, to some extent, other Pantheons. Uh, you know, they, they kind of put it in there, but <laughs> well, I, and I thought that was very cool. Yeah, and I think that that's kind of gets to that that issue of like the um, just the amount of lore yeah. that the second edition setting has. In it. I mean, I, I, I know that let's just talk about the Splat books, which would sort of fall under a number of different books, but, you know, the, the complete handbooks. So there's a, a for those who aren't aware, there's a set, uh, a whole collection of like the complete thief's handbook and the complete fighter's handbook and the complete paladin's handbook. And then they got into the racial handbooks, like the complete gnomes and halflings and the complete elves. And and uh, then they had a few that were setting specific, like the complete gladiator's handbook. And then they had all these historical supplements, like Rome. ones about Rome and, and Greece and all of that. And oh, then- uh, yeah, they're so good. And then they also, of course, had the the faiths and avatars and the powers and pantheons books for Forgotten Realms setting. And if you, I remember I would flip, I could flip through those books and it would, my imagination would just be getting going, not even about the what the characters were offered mechanically, but just oh, yeah. like each one would have a little story from the character's perspective. And then they would have what they were and you kind of felt like ooh, i could be a part of this little special secret society or part of this group and yeah that all from, that exists now from, so from from six original classes or ever, yeah, yeah. seven original classes so there and you get people go but there's only six classes or seven classes but now but it's 
Each one has a myriad of of sub kits that give it pure its own pure strength yeah. and identity, role playing purpose. And that's where you're getting into your role play, isn't it? You know, where yeah. you want your angle, your character into where its motivations are, where it's going from to what it's done, how it can react. And to the argument that I've heard the good Robert say before, why would my character do it rather than not do it? And that lends you that role play opportunity as well within your kit. Yeah. I, I feel. So the splat books are a win. Definitely. Oh, they're so great. I and mean, again, th- even all the books had this little this little system of of I mean, because it's super crunchy. I mean, you could read the same rules, I don't know, three times per session and you still wouldn't remember mm. them kind of quite, but <laughs> especially still, are you describing me? <laughs> no, I mean that's not that's not the strength of the system, or at, at least for me, it's not like oh my god, I I love crunchiness, but but I thought that you know there was just this uh, I don't know how to describe it in words. It's like it's like uh, like the fjords of Norway have this fractal design. They repeat on the grand and the small scale, and I felt like you could zoom in forever into the. Um, second edition books and there would be like little blurbs describing mm. you know uh, uh, there would be like a bunch of rules and then there would be a little blurb describing how uh, Cassandra the thief was in some kind of setting and doing something and some writers had written this little I don't know this maybe uh, very very short piece of text but it would kind of explain a situation and they had a lot of that, I think, uh, mm-hmm. in the books. And even some books were written in like uh, in the first person voice of El Minister, the uh, like uh, the mage wizard. Yeah. Or, and other books were written in the uh, what was that Volo's? Guide? Yeah, Volo. Yeah, Volo. Volo um, like, Arm. There's the those. And in fact, there is a fifth edition book. You know, Volo's Guide to Monsters. Yeah. But yeah, they had yeah. that whole series of those Volo's books, and they're fantastic you don't even they're they're system agnostic almost too i mean you can you know they have like descriptions of towns and people and it's all flavor and it's kind of it's kind of bird's eye view but i mean it it just kicks off the imagination a lot and then you then you can see that it's supported by these rules that if if your imagination doesn't completely encompass or doesn't stretch far enough and you wonder how to incorporate you can kind of lean on the rules a little bit and then i mean as you get better or air quotes better i mean um as, as as you get more familiar then you don't need the rules as much but but to begin with they for sure weren't help i think if you're stuck as a gm yeah as a place to go or a player to interpret but yeah definitely i mean i think once you start going down the 2e rabbit hole and i i, I don't know if i speak for gretchen but i'm pretty sure i speak with for both andre and chris here there's an endless supply of things that i would love 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 to do and I've known this game for a long time. Mm-hmm. And there is, I will never accomplish, I will never get through all of the awesome things that I mm-hmm. want to do with this game, with second edition, because it's so vast. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yet, that's the thing. It, and, you know, for people out there who are like, well, that's why I don't want to play it, because, like, how do you even get into it? But that's the point. You can start off so simply. Mm-hmm. You it's know, you don't. It's not a niche. It's yeah. Not a niche. I mean, you can pick up the most. It's clicking on in there, so it can grow it again. So, well, you and can even pick like, up the most basic class, and then I mean, as you get kind of inspired, there's just like, yeah, go ahead. You want to do that? Sure, we can do that. That fits in here nicely. Like, uh, 
it's yeah. hard it's hard to come up with something weird enough that it isn't supported by the rules i think <laughs> so let's talk about that though because one of the things i think is also a strength of second edition is its limitations hmm. because hmm. although second edition has um second edition has the vast options but once you choose an option there is plenty of opportunity to grow in a role-playing context and through things that you gain and stuff like that but essentially it's you're not jumping all over between all these different classes you're not learning all of these divergent skills it's much more specialized so each character becomes more i think in its way the classes are more unique to each, from each other. They're more different than each, from each other. Yeah. Like you yeah. don't have a bard that can heal. Yeah, you yeah. don't have, you know, a wizard. Well, I mean, I guess later in the in the power, uh, you know, skills and options books, and we can talk about those. Up, uh, you know, those those players' options books are a little bit controversial. But you don't have the wizard who's, you know, for the most part, like wielding swords and on the front lines. You know, there's there's mm -hmm. sort of an, each character has its own little niche. Everything is in yes. its own place. Everything knows its place and is in the right place if balanced. And therein lie the limitations sometimes because if you are void of a class, you can feel the pain. Um, that that is a fair critique, definitely. I feel like I don't know about balance, but I feel like you know I feel like somebody sat down with a certain love for the class that they were about to kind of um, write up as a as a part of the system. I feel like everybody that sat down and wrote about the class had a certain love for it. And there's a, there's a non-linearity to second edition and a non-balance uh, in, in a way that makes each class, once you've decided, or class or subclass or kit or whatever, once you've decided on your character, you have an arc built into the system, sort of. There's like, mm. uh, well, if you take like a typical mage wizard, uh, it's hard to survive the first levels, mm -hmm. and and you and you require a fuck ton of XP. Oops, and uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> and uh, and uh, well, it's super hard. And then suddenly you you like you get into the mid levels. And you're vastly powerful, and then, uh, and you know, you hear the thief and the warrior complain that you can kind of annihilate a town of orcs by a flick of a thumb. <laughs> but, then, but you feel so, you feel so. If if you get to that point, you feel like, well, I I I put in the work, I've struggled, and now I get what's what's earned, and that's that's built into those kind of like you say, um, set classes that you you can't change, but if you if you put in the, the sweat and and the and the elbow grease, you kind of get a reward in the end. And there's like an arc there. You don't have to make up your own character arc. It's kind of built in. Yeah, the beauty the beauty of named level leveling up as part of your structure. And this is something else you don't, which is a limitation. Yeah, leveling, but leveling therefore brings watershed results, doesn't it? You hit that point, poof, you improve significantly. Whereas uh, in other games, we see gentle development in skills, don't we? Like, the, you know, they might see a skill go up a few percent or something. And in Dungeons and Dragons, it's very fixed. Your stats rarely moved. Your tributes yeah. rarely moved. Your strength or stuff, all your stats rarely went up or down. 
Um, yet the levelling concept was quite strong with, with, with an identity being you reach a certain level and you're like a named level, not like a knock. And then you don't improve much beyond that, but it's incremental, like gentle. Yeah. Like. So yeah, it, it's had that strength about it that even if I'm ninth level, which is the name level, the point that we don't recognise your stuff, you gain all your lordly abilities, all your special stuff. If you're a priest, you get worshippers in a temple to help you guard if you're a wizard. Mm. You get little mages come to learn off you. Know, if you're a paladin, you go off and do all the super mad stuff. And then you say, oh, well, wait, but when that's happening then at 15th, 16th and 17th, well, they're better, but they're not that unapproachably better. They're still, they're still reachable, if you know what I mean. It's still like you reach a, a, a plateau, but then... It's still ascendable into the next plateau to to adventure in. Oh yeah, I don't I don't think that you know I don't know I've heard the word plateau or like flattening out of a curve in terms of people discussing video games. Like when you get into some levels, it gets boring. And also another thing that people talk about in in video games is um, what do the numbers mean? Like who cares if you improve one point three percent in sneak? Like 1.3%, what does that even do in a video game? You would you would wonder. And, and in second edition, you don't have that. Uh, like like you say, I mean, you, you notice a huge change. Like you gain 40,000 XP and you as a wizard and you level up to a new level and you get like new superpowers. And um, I guess for a fighter, less so. But I mean, uh, still, the, the numbers are... You notice the change a lot, I think. And also, I don't think it flattens out at any level. Debatably, the rogue has a problem in second edition. Um, the 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 run of the mill, like straight out the player's handbook, rogue in in higher levels uh, has kind of a survivability problem. Uh, but uh, we could we could discuss that. But I think apart from that, I feel like it's um, I like the nonlinearity of it and and the feeling of of incremental uh, boosts along the way. Well. I would even argue too that the game is organized in a way second edition is organized in a way that at higher levels like uh as chris mentioned name level that there is a an implication in the rules and in the way that they're described that the game will change that's the point at which you start attracting followers and build a stronghold and even published adventures have sort of an uh, a global kind of um a much larger reach like there's an implication that what you're doing has has a is of much greater consequence and scale and so like like I, I think and i think that the rules kind of make that i mean i think that they, they go hand in hand with that um i think mm. that's kind of a part of it um uh, and you see the origins of game of thrones in dungeons and dragons second edition named for opinion. sure yeah <laughs> definitely <laughs> I mean, we, we used to play as kind of a life substitute, sandboxy style. Like, we would just start at level one, and then our DM would just come up, make up new stuff, and the world would expand around us. And that sort of play is not super well supported by, you know, because we would want to adventure even at level 16, but, but the system is kind of built around a level 16 wizard is basically kind of the king wizard of the world, if you want to... F- follow the core books but then you have kind of have to expand on it and suddenly now the world has x amount of of 
level 16 wizards that can flatten mountains by by a flick of the fingers. It doesn't really it doesn't really vibe well. Uh, so you well, kind of yeah. have to make up a different different world if you want to do it good. But it's to recognize as well the difference between um, like what is power play and what is your character and what is depth of character over time. It's like if I was to give you a 16th level wizard straight off the bat, I think you'd struggle to play. Oh yeah, I, think I you struggle to pick to. all his spells. Explain why he learned them, where he learned them from, why he learned them, what his applications of the spells are. Why a 16th level fighter? I mean, yeah, we could do it as advanced role players, but the the, the growth into that point gives you all that past history, like a massive pyramid, just coming up to a point. Um, with the ascent being named and beyond, like changing the world, doing really mystical, holy, fantasy, crazy stuff. Um, is where I went or where my feelings are with it. But I've seen I've seen the strength in as well adaption to like stuff like Dragonlance. And that was really good. Like they created its own entire I mean, you've played that, haven't you, Gretchen? Dragonlance through in Rob's campaign. Yeah. What's your interpretation of your experiences of Dungeons and Dragons around that? Because that's like first just creeping into second, or do you play it as second, Rob? Gretchen. I mean, I really like Dragonlance, but there are some things that kind of drive me a little bonkers. Um, but I think it's hard to talk about second edition Dragonlance, the, the one that I play in, which is Rob's, because he does a lot of homebrew. And I think he kind of takes a lot of liberties, which isn't, I think if I were to take my experience with second edition, knowing Rob's game, and take it to a different table with a different DM, I think I would be really confused. Um, so it's hard for me to kind of give perspective on second edition because of that. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I feel like Rob just creates these worlds and reads into rules a little differently. And I don't know, it, it follows a system, but it's very custom tailored to rock yeah. style. Well, well there's so flexible. I think that's what everybody does with second. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Second, edition. Is, yeah. second edition so, is very I well. Each GM will have a right table to table. If GMs meet, they go. But do you use that rule? How do you homebrew that? What What do you do when your characters hit this point of no hit point? So. I understand what you're saying, Gretchen, because you could come to my game and go, no, 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 that's not happened to my game. Yeah. Like, not that I'm an officious GM, which is the first thing Gary Guy gets said at the table with all the young players. Don't have an officious tit of a GM like who thinks he's running the, everything. You're coming together and playing, you need a set of rules, and you're playing good for the goose, good for the gander. But what one crew is playing might be very different to the next. Mm. So you might see like strengths in different things, or yeah, but yeah, I, I think it's. You bring up a really interesting point, Chris, because that's actually what second edition tried to do because first edition was just basically a combination of like tons of home rule, homebrew rules people had kind of come up with. And when they developed second edition, they asked for input from the community, like what rules are you using? And they tried to kind of codify all of those, these very different tables that everybody was playing at. But you're right. I mean, Chris, you and I actually, I think philosophically were on the same page but we do play the game a little different. Like our tables, our game style, our rules, the way we interpret things is a little different. But I think that that's the magic of second edition. That's like what's so good about it, you know? Yeah, um, yeah but how come you can't take that to other editions? I'm well, sure you, can. you could. 
Hmm? I'm sure you could. Okay. So but I think it's I think the it's magic just, of the gaming system. I don't know, but I think it it's like if you would try and I met one person who did, if you would try to like internalize all of the second edition rules and and kind of crunch them out as a DM, it would be insane. You couldn't play it. And then so there was always like you needed the DM needed to be like a curator of rules mm. and lore. And then you would have such things as good and bad DMs based on their managing managing yeah. their interpretations and doing the story. To, like it would be, I don't know that I've seen that in fifth edition DMs. They seem to play the same. Like the system works the same every table I I see, except maybe those crazy people who do the C team, but they don't use rules at all, basically. <laughs> but uh, well, uh, you should see the main style of the core section of rules intact. And I bet Rob has got the intact main section of the rules. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, core books for sure. Yeah. So therefore, he's within realm. And the first thing it says, you know, Dun Dungeons Dragons is, if you do not we'll like talk a about rule, it. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't like a rule or you do not feel this rule suits your gaming table, discuss and change it yeah. yeah but once you but once you assign it and kind of like it's in play for that thing then it should kind of it's to give everybody so they don't know when something comes up that's an exception the gem must rule must they you know it's interesting because we had two players in the dragonlance game that i run and they're no longer in the game and there was conflict in particular with one of those players and those two players they took it for granted that certain rules were what they thought they were. They had interpretations of the rules because they had been playing so long and it's so distant from when that game was like actually out and new that their, their rules had become so ingrained in how they played that they just assumed that that was actually how the game was played. So when they came to the table, there was some conflict because... Mm -hmm my style and their style was different. Not that either one was better or worse. It's just that that's how we had always played, you know, like that was the way the game was. And so there was, there was conflict there. So I think that that's kind of an interesting. Yeah. I remember that from being younger um, mm. and playing the game that uh, we would have like one style of play with my, with my GM and then encountering others I mean, as I was when I was young, anything that was different from what I thought or felt was wrong, <laughs> you know, because it's uh, it's a part of being young. But then as an older person, I understand that, you know, it's all about making a game work. But uh, but I think it's kind of um, an immature way of, of coming at a role playing game to say that, you know, how it's supposed to work. Mm. feels a bit immature <laughs> to me. <laughs> Yeah, I agree as well. I mean, I think to a certain extent, like if you, I mean, for new players, I get it. I get that, you know, and I think one of the things, you know, uh, Andre, you mentioned about the, God, I don't want to get off too much on fifth edition, but you know, you mentioned the, the similarity in tables. I mean, that could be partially because of the success of something like Critical Role, where oh, people sure. are learning yeah. how to play the game mm -hmm. from a single source, whereas in earlier editions and this is like you know pre-internet and stuff we learned by the person who taught us how to play yeah and exactly. most of us don't learn the game didn't learn the game because by reading the book we learned the game by playing the game yeah and yeah, so yeah. even now like i still will like i'll read something and i'll be like oh i had that rule in my head totally wrong and mm. i mean how many years have i been playing this game and i still uh, yeah. do that 
I had a player drowned for attack and um, was like, oh, what? Rules on drowning because it was just so expected. No, it's just not an unexpected incident that, uh, oh, no, in Dungeon Dragons, didn't expect the encounter where they drowned in gem error and um, interpreted a rule uh, indirectly. And the player was like, well, why don't you know the rule? And I'm like, oh, shit, yeah, because there's so many rules. But And then found the rule and then interpreted it and, and corrected the issue. But yeah. Yeah, you do. Some players expect to come to a table with it really, really clear, don't they? But they don't yeah. understand some sometimes the depth of the level of the exceptions of the rules. I, I think, I think the role of those rules in second edition, for me at least, how they make sense is that um, they add uh, options for creativity. Because you wonder, uh, okay, I'm drowning. How to deal with that? And you don't, if you don't want to be. Um, kind of left to the devices of the DM, basically deciding if you live or die, mm. then you can say, okay, these are the mechanics of drowning. Let's implement them. And then you can see if there are ways you can think of to to stop yourself from drowning yeah. based on these mechanics. And that that's how they are fun if, they, yeah. if they're implemented that way, yeah. Yeah. that you can kind of interact with the rules in an, in an interesting way and, and come up with novel solutions i think that's fun then yeah it's interesting you mentioned that because there is a certain vagueness in a lot of second edition rules and i think it's intentional especially when you think you consider spells where there are things that it doesn't really give you enough information that you can definitively say it's this way or it's this way open it leaves up a little bit of interpretation and i think that it kind of is considering my opinion is that it's it's intentional and it's considering each table is going to be different and that there is going to be a certain level of trust between the players and the game master that there can be like a little bit of a discussion or i wouldn't say an argument but like a, a case made that i can use the spell this way or i can survive drowning in this way and like mm. that's and and if you're at a good table then that's it works really well i think in your game chris it works really well i think what gretchen is interpreting by the dragonlands game is what she is that that's what she's interpreting is that i do that a lot there's a lot of un, there's not they're not really super concrete in a lot of ways and so like you have to make this interpretation and the best way it's done is where we everybody's kind of working together to figure out what that interpretation is and i think that's one of second edition's greatest greatest strengths actually can somebody enlighten me on something else as well please i happen to admit a bit of a far part but uh having only briefly encountered fifth for a few games with the dungeon master online um I cannot be too sure, but did they did they keep the entire concept of alignments, or did they just go back to law, or did they go good neutral evil, or did they go did they there include are... chaos elements with them? Or? It exists. I think there are alignments, um, but I, they do not seem. I don't know. They don't seem to encourage very strict rules around alignments, and I think it's kind of about the day and age uh, we live in, because you know. Uh, if you want to be a little bit uh, crass, second edition alignments are written from like the the standpoint of a of a uh, what's it called a wasp from the United States. You know, it's like <laughs> Anglo-Saxons from from the United States out view on the on life and the world. So good is is interpreted that way. Evil is interpreted the same. 
through that lens. So, I mean, I don't think that they wanted to keep that in fifth edition and I can't blame them really for, for kind of playing it down a little bit because it's, um, mm. I think fifth edition is good in many ways. And I think one of the ways it's good is just trying to rethink that whole axis of evil and good. Uh, yes. A little bit. That's an inter that's an interesting crossover back into fifth with the more um less um or oh, 70s mindset um and 80s mindset into this renaissance of thought of modern age of um but then you start asking questions like are book bears evil really and um we'd not even considered that back in the day because of course we were just playing a game but now we do reach a point where you know is it fair to say Hawks are the enemy, etc. But then you reach you reach tropic levels of uh, of panic. Like, what can you actually then heroically fight in the sense of a Conan tropic thing? You always need some sense of evil or villain or larger foe or a greater thing to overcome in Dungeons and Dragons. And alignment provides yeah. that. That is, yeah, is something very D and D about. Every now and then, you're the hero. You go and you fight the villain, the villain is clear, and you beat that thing to bits until it's dead, and then you steal all of its stuff. Yeah, and, and <laughs> you cut out the interesting bits. <laughs> but, origins, but that's not what it is now. That's not with thinking players and stuff. But it, it's, it, it still isn't too far uh, indiscriminate from the sense of there's a big thing to achieve, and it has this big result, and then it has this big reward. Um, that can be a bit tropic to Dungeons and Dragons, but it's it's very materialistic, it. also, isn't it? Like if mm -hmm. you want to if you want to go at it at uh, at this level, I mean, I was playing it with a dungeon master was was very contrarian and like uh, into black metal, and I mean his sense of good and evil was well and true baked into the system we were playing, but that wasn't entirely based on the books, but more about his interpretation, I think. But uh, so he would oh. play the lawful, the lawful good guys. Uh, e I mean, equally horrible and 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 uh, and punishing as the lawful evil guys. Uh, he, so I mean, it's it's open for interpretation. But I think, uh, like you say, it's um, yeah, it's written in the seventies. So there's a lot of that in the books. Yeah, I mean, like a good example, like of where you might see that crossover, but interpreted differently. Is like, for instance, I had a character, not a character, a, a friend whose campaign was quite extensive, and he eventually reached named and beyond. And he was, um, he was a priest, and he was lawful evil, and he was a half hawk. And his whole intent was to return to his tribe, stop them being chaotic and wandering around and, and smacking things, and form them into a lawful area on a bit of land and hold the land. And he waited politically until there was a situation in Steech with the giants and everything. And Steech gets attacked by the giants and land opens up. And he moved orcs politically, like went to an orc tribes and conquered that leader and uh, usurped his position, moved them to this location, set them up, and then did the giants campaign off the back of that. But the whole principle of being, I can't, I might be lawful lethal, but I fucking want my people to be safe. I want my mm -hmm. people to have a land. So it was, you know. And what is that interpretation? Oh, I've known a lawful good paladin say, oh, hang the kobold. What? And I've gone, no, that's like your alignment's in jeopardy. And he's gone, no, you know, he's murdered up that family of farmers. He's thoroughly evil. The law says he has to hang. And I'm like, no, you're misinterpreting. That's not good. He said, well, what, what opportunity is there to redemption? He's spitting at me all the while. He just, he just wants to kill things. He'll go on to his afterlife and literally hang, hung him. 
And that leaves the gem in this area where you're talking about, Andre, but has had some of the most extra, unbelievable role-play moments in a game that was supposed to be just... Sure. Rolling that's, but I think that's one of the things that's interesting about second edition, though, in general, in particular, about all of these things, like whether you're talking about alignment class, you know, um, backgrounds, you know, evil races, whatever it might be, is that, that it it scaled from a 12 year period. So there was a, a longer extended period of the game and virtually every potential outcome exists within the lore at one place or another. So like there isn't even, like the Book of Humanoids. The Book mm -hmm. of Humanoids exists, the complete Book of Humanoids exists, which is a splat book where you play monsters. And it offers the opportunity where if you want, you can have the good ogre, you can have the good orc, you can have the good kobold. And also the interpretation of what alignment means can be yeah. really yeah. anything you choose at your table. Like Andre's talking about in his black metal DM who <laughs> completely reinterpreted the way that alignment was done. That mm. is acceptable within the confines of second edition. What we're talking about really is philosophy, not yeah. really, and that's just general philosophy, not second edition philosophy, which in my mind really allows for a lot of flexibility. Yes. I think we get kind of caught up in the arguments over like, oh, alignment's good or alignment's bad, or we shouldn't do this or we should do this, when really all possibilities were out there before. Yeah. If you think otherwise, then you're not really understanding second edition. It's not a rigid caning tool for the GM to smack on the players. It's, it, it, you know what I mean? It's not a hard and fast conquering thing that conquers how players must play the game it's a guide good thing good people do evil things in the name of good sometimes evil things evil people do good things sometimes evil people do love stuff you know what i mean it's it's uh -huh. so it's totally interpretable and and totally as you say in, indeed open to that interpretation and andres so i thought it was just something that came to the game that also led systemically to actions within the game because of alignment like certain uh, spells only work on certain alignments. Only certain things affect certain ways that your character is. You can only tune into that thing if it's that alignment or cannot, or if it's not, or you just understand it. Um, some, I mean, so there's some. I think you're right, both of you, in that it's 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 not uh, rigid. Um, but I mean, there's some some strange things built into the system that are. Uh, like the philosophy that's baked into it is invisible and not mentioned, but but it's there. Like uh, all necromancies, if you do any necromancy spell, you're immediately evil as a <laughs> character, which is makes only sense if you feel that raising corpses is evil. And I mean, I, debatably, it is. But but I mean, Santeria religions, uh, African religions deal with zombies and and like the dead and and sacrifices of hens, and they're they're, I mean, they're not evil, everybody in Cuba, because of the Santeria practices. <laughs> uh, it, it's a very westernized uh, I think, I think thing that's, that. that's built into the base of, of the game. I mean, you kind of have to, uh, I mean, if you're blind to it, then it turns into a kind of black and white system, I think. But you, you kind of have to be um, aware enough to kind of pierce that and, 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 and think about it a little bit and maybe treat it a little differently. Good point. Well, look, guys, we got to round off because we've been talking for a long time and I want to spare our listeners from you gotta, you gotta edit this two hour podcast. 
but um but this is really great point um i think we've i think the the clear outcome here is that second edition is the best yes that's all there is to it yeah you could just you could just edit out all the rest and go second edition is the best uh well it's interesting thanks guys i really appreciate you coming on and talking about it because i think that that as you know we the three of us play together and we love playing second edition and um and i think especially chris and i we're often fighting against some stereotypes uh, for second edition um andre i know you stay free of it but chris and i are always um i feel like people pick at the scab of chris and i's yeah. um feelings about second edition <laughs> there's sort of you underhanded know, comments <laughs> about it it helps yeah. not to interact with people that's what i do i just i just don't speak <laughs> to people yeah. and, and as i said it's not to say that as, as gamers i mean we are we are as, as such not gray gamers but you know we are we have been in it a long time but it's not to say that we don't appreciate the renaissance and the growth of the hobby and the strength i love it, I love the it. Community. we love the fact that there's new things we love the fact that there's other games yeah. with no dice and no dungeon masters. We love these things, and we will play them. Um, For sure, but, and there's a, that's a good point. And I just want to say, as a sign, everything has its place. It's when I was playing in Oslo when, like, what's that, twenty five years ago, with my uh, black metal friends. I knew exactly eight people in Norway that played Dungeons and Dragons, and I didn't think there could be much more of us because it was such a strange and occult hobby. So I mean, look at us now. It's uh, it's vastly vastly different, and 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 me going on about second edition to some extent can probably be blamed on the fact that that's where I started. But that that's not that's not uh, fall for that trap here at the end. For sure. Oh, yeah, I'm happy even if just somebody picks up Dungeons and Dragons, plays it, goes okay. That maybe that wasn't how I interpreted it, but then goes on and plays something else. Or even if somebody else goes and is playing these other games and goes, I'm going to meet Dungeons and Dragons, that might actually be okay. It might be worth a look. Oh, this second edition. That's equally, equally, equally powerful. Just, pl just play and enjoy. Edition Wars. 3.5 and Pathfinder. Edition Wars. 3.5 and Pathfinder. We're combining them together. But before we do that, we've got Amanda Plegman on the show. And of course, Amanda's sort of the third member of our podcast team here. So we're not going to talk about fourth edition for real. Although I think uh, Amanda has played a bit and I have read a little bit. So we're going to spend a couple of minutes talking about fourth edition before we get into 3.5 and Pathfinder. And right before we went on the recording, Amanda, you said that there were two and a half things that are good about fourth edition. What are those two and a half things? Okay, it's no secret that I'm not a fan of fourth ed. Controversy. <laughs> anyway, first and foremost, it was the first game to fix the five-minute workday. Go them. Typically, most D&D editions, when the wizard or to a lesser extent the cleric run out of spells, the action is over and you rest. Yeah, True. Fourth Ed fixed that with encounter powers and daily powers and at will powers, that sort of thing. Mm. There is no five minute workday anymore. Pathfinder took a cue from it and brought in endless infinite cantrips and orisons to give spellcasters at least a little bit of magic that they have access to all the time. But that came after Fourth Ed. Fourth Ed was the one that pioneered allowing casters to not have the action stop when their magic runs out. Go them. 
Yeah, okay, so I had never heard that term five minute workday, but sort of context clues are telling me what you mean is that situation mm -hmm. where you go into an encounter, the wizard or priest casts all of their spells, and then so like the group has adventured for five minutes and mm -hmm. the battle is over and then, but they're out of spells. So the group doesn't want to continue on adventuring because they mm -hmm. don't want their spellcasters to be traveling along with them without exactly. any healing spells or fireballs or whatever mm -hmm. it might be. Go ahead, think back to our second ed game. I, my wizard started out with one spell per day. Yeah, right. And I either had to save it for when something worse was going to happen, waste it on armor and effectively be, you know, useless all day, or just fire it off early and hope for the best. <laughs> uh -huh. And then run in with your four hit points and your staff. Exactly. Or perhaps a dagger. Although technically speaking, I believe that in... We don't play this rule. I've kind of house ruled it out. But in Dragonlance, I believe that wizards are only allowed to use a knife mm -hmm. because it's inspired from first edition. And I believe right. a knife does D3 damage. Oh my God, that is so mm -hmm. sad. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's awful. Yeah, so good on 4E for fixing that. Okay, so, so what are the other one and a half things? They broke out magic away from just arcane and divine they gave us primal and then later on uh, psychic or psionic so now typically in most editions of dnd druids and rangers have divine magic the same way the clerics and paladins do 4e was the first one to say no druids and rangers have nothing to do with the same magical sources that clerics and paladins do they shouldn't be running off the same power source Cool. Awesome. That makes sense. Yeah. And then the last was a thing that I love in theory, though I sometimes disagree with how they put it into practice. They gave us ritual magic. Hmm. And this is basically utility spells that you typically don't need to have memorized on a regular basis. But when you need them, you really, really need them. Things hmm. like knock or... Um, pretty much any of the non-combat stuff other than identifications, that sort of thing. And, or tensors, floating disc, things like that. And this, you have a separate book. You have a spell book and a ritual book. And you, your spell book is what you memorize from and you cast from, but your ritual book is basically a cookbook. You don't memorize from it. It's a recipe book. And when you need to cast a ritual spell, they usually take about 10 minutes or so, sometimes even longer. And they just work. They don't count against your spells per day. See, but they also nice. aren't yeah, but they also aren't something that you can just pull out on the fly. Mm -hmm. So the stuff that nobody ever memorizes because you're only going to use it maybe one session in fives so and you don't want to waste a spell slot for it. Make it ritual magic. Make right. it so yeah. that you pull out the cookbook, read the recipe take your extended length of time to do it and move on. Right. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Now I don't always agree with which spells they made rituals and which spells they left as spells, but the idea is amazing. Hence the half. I think that the main problem mm -hmm. though that, and, and you know, I don't want to spend too much time on fourth edition, but I think right. as somebody who's read some fourth edition and kind of like looked over it, the main issue with fourth edition, it's not that it's a bad game. It's actually a good no, it's game. Not. 
It is. It's just not Dungeons and Dragons. Exactly. And I think that there's a feel about Dungeons and Dragons that even when you're talking about the vast difference between like 1E, 2E, and then going into 3.5, 3.5 and Pathfinder, which did a pretty dramatic turn as far True. as how things were different, they both still feel like Dungeons and Dragons. Exactly. And so does fifth edition. But fourth edition yeah. just doesn't feel like Dungeons and Dragons. It feels like mm -mm. Um, well, you've described it as a as a um, it's MMO the RPG. Yeah, MMO the RPG, and so it's not a bad game. So I, I don't want to say that we're not including it because I just don't think it's it's not it's not playing the same sport. So we're not they're not really mm -hmm. there's no addition war because they're not even yeah. on the battlefield. Exactly, you know, they're on one some. Other they're tiny, yeah, one other tiny thing, they go the levels on it go from one to thirty. So there's no argument as to what's considered low level, high, mid level, or high level play. Levels one through ten, low level. Ten through twenty, mid. Twenty through thirty, high. Mm. Cool. Okay. It's a okay. small thing, but it's nice. Interesting. Interesting. Well, look. Let's let's um let's move on to the real reason that you are on the show this week, um, and that is to talk about three point five or Pathfinder because I believe. Oh, that through through a um I, I, some sort of heretical remark that i saw you recently post on social media that you proclaimed that 3.5 is your favorite and to which i put uh, a a black mark next to melanor brightgleam on in my folder to remember to kill you just before you reach the moment of glory in my game for for such for such blasphemy against the best version, which is second edition. I'm just kidding. 3.5 Pathfinder. If it helps, 3.75 is my favorite, AKA Pathfinder. Right. And that's what we, <laughs> you know, we should call it that. Now, so, and you know, Pathfinder is not technically Dungeons and Dragons, but it no. is so like interchangeable with 3.5 exactly. that in fact, we played, I ran a 3.5 game for a while, but it was a essentially Pathfinder 3.5. Mm -hmm. We used, because it was set in the Forgotten Realms, so we used right. materials, which were 3.5, but we defaulted to Pathfinder in a lot of mm -hmm. cases, except for when it was something very Niche. Forgotten Realms specific. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. for example, you were playing a Hathrin from Rashomon in the right. Forgotten Realms, so a lot of the lore was, and all of the mechanics were tied to 3.5, because right. they don't exist in Pathfinder, because it's a intellectual property of Wizards of the Coast. So, Oops. We're doing the same thing with our Ravenloft game. It's mostly Pathfinder, but Ravenloft is a 3.5 D&D property. So what is it that makes 3.5 the best version of Dungeons & Dragons? Or 3.75, the best version of Dungeons & Dragons? Uh, 3.5. Gotta love it. <laughs> you can't discuss 3.75 without 3.5. True. Or for that matter, 3.0. But, well was such a small period of time that we might as well ignore it. <sighs> well, let's talk a little bit about that, actually, because that was really interesting as a historical footnote mm -hmm. in gaming, because it did, it was strange how 3.5 came out and they're like, oh, it's, this isn't quite right. We're just going to change it all now. Right. Let's talk a little bit about that, because you might know more about that than I do, because I was not gaming at all during that period. Well, it, it kind of is a two-pronged issue. And part of it was design and part of it was designer in that, yes, they did a lot of play testing, 
but they didn't do quite enough playtesting, particularly in the higher levels. They playtested the dog's not out of it in the levels like one to five, mm -hmm. but the higher level stuff, not quite so much. And as a result, they needed to make some adjustments. There were some spells that needed to be reworked that once they realized, oh, well, this spell's just fine on its own, but when you combine it with this other higher level level spell, you win the game. It's <laughs> totally working, right? Yeah, just put away the dice and declare I win. And as far as the designer problem, there were egos involved and designers butted heads. And there was one particular designer that felt that he was far more important and intrinsic to the design process than Wizards of the Coast did. And so they took the opportunity of doing 3-5 to <clears throat> not invite that particular designer back. Who was that? Is that the Monty <laughs> Cook? Or is yeah. that, yeah, Monty mm -hmm. Cook, okay. Yeah. And Monty Cook, of course, has his own games now and actually mm -hmm. does some pretty interesting things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a great designer in his own right. He just wasn't a particularly great fit for what was going on at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was an interesting time anyway, because it was... You know, that was Wizards of the Coast after purchasing TSR and mm -hmm. kind of running out the, the the string on second edition, and they wanted to make their own product. In fact, they right. needed to kind of reestablish themselves. They needed to sell a bunch of players' handbooks and mm -hmm. Dungeon Master guides again, because nobody needed that stuff anymore who was exactly. playing second edition. So right. that's a big part of why they make a new edition, especially with exactly. the game of the Dragons. Mm -hmm. which basically guarantees millions of sales whenever they release a new edition of yes. the Player's Handbook, Dungeon Master Guide, and Monster Manual. Those three Not books will sell millions of mm -hmm. copies. Not to mention the infinite amount of free publicity, since, let's face it, all publicity is good publicity, because there's going to be the inevitable edition war. <laughs> and, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're talking about it right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And you're right, no publicity is bad publicity, because it just gets mm -hmm. them... You know, and they still, you know, what's interesting now is that, um, and this is just, we're getting a little bit off topic here, but you know, you can't buy second edition books, for example, anymore, but you can buy, you can buy legal PDFs on many sites and Wizards of the Coast still benefits from that. They're still mm -hmm. selling those. Yep. So they can say, oh, we're, you know, so people are like it all up in arms about the cultural changes that they're making in certain things. Mm -hmm. But they're still selling Oriental Adventures. Exactly. still making money off of it. Right. Now, of course, the folks that are just completely up in arms about the changes and that sort of thing are also the ones that aren't particularly inclined to support WOTC in that. And therefore, they're not necessarily going to seek out those legal alternatives. But... True. Well... The less said about that, the better. <laughs> <laughs> R.I.P. the trove. Um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah, they claim it's coming back, but I'll believe I've it when that. I see it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about it. So what is, yeah, again, so let's talk about, let's talk about 3.5 and what's so great about it. What do you love about 3.5? And maybe kind of, how did you first get started into it? I mean, obviously you have experience and I mean, we were looking at your copy of the rule cyclopedia in your hand the Beck Me Rules Cyclopedia before we even began the podcast or began the recording. And you obviously play in a, a second edition game and you know the rules really well. You're familiar, very familiar with the second edition as well. What kind of got you into 3.5 and sort of playing that game? Well, 
my second ed group sort of broke up in college as such things tend to do. And at the time that with changing life opportunities left me without a gaming group for a period of maybe four or five years where if I was gaming at all, it was World of Darkness or something something similar. I was temporarily out of D&D. And then when I was able to find a new group, they were playing 3-5. And I didn't know anything about 3-5, mm-hmm. but I knew this particular group of people. They were friends from other situations. So I really wanted to play with them and come on, it's D&D. So I got me a copy of the core book and sat down and um, I was being a a friend of mine's ride to and from work. So I ended up just hanging out in the parking lot, having nothing better to do, read it from cover to cover, said, this seems pretty neat. (laughs) And the rest is history. (laughs) Yeah. And it's interesting because it feels enough like D&D too. It's like, you know, and and I'll, you know, obviously I'm, I'm unabashed in my love for second edition, but I mean, we play in the three, five Pathfinder Ravenloft game with you and mm-hmm. it's, it's D&D. It's still D&D. I mean, it's not like it's different. So if you get kind of into it, but what kind of for you, other than just like, okay, well, convenience, you're playing with friends. We're talking about this being your favorite version. And now, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, you've certainly had an opportunity to play all of these. So like, how did, how did it transition from, I'm going to play with my friends. I read it cover to cover. This sounds pretty neat to this is my favorite version of the game. The customization. That, that's really all there is to it. What 3.5 and Pathfinder offer is the ability to make just about anything. It has a skill list. Instead of a set of proficiencies, you get to improve on those skills, either making skills that you have better or getting new skills every single level, as opposed to every three or four or six levels in second ed. Um, And with that, you can sort of move beyond the class system to a degree that, well, I might be a sword and board big study fighter, but if I choose to put points into structural engineering, then yeah, I can be as eventually as good at knowing about that as somebody who's been a wizard or a rogue or whatever else that you would expect them to know those things. So the characters, to my mind, they come out more like well-rounded people. Mm. It doesn't matter what edition that you make, you can always make a well-rounded character, certainly, but there's a much better framework to launch that mechanically than there is in the other editions. The feats are nice, but for me, it's really all about skills. Yeah, well, and of course, what's interesting about that comment in particular is that in second edition, they introduced non-weapon provision. Actually, they technically introduced mm-hmm. them in first edition, but first, that yeah. was in a sort of late, I forget what book it was that they introduced was, non-weapon provision. Like, well, might be Wilderness Arcana? Survival. No. Yeah, maybe it was Wilderness. Might have been Wilderness Survival Guide. Anyway, it doesn't, the point is, is it was like in some offshoot book near the end mm-hmm. of the line of first, of AD&D first edition. Right. They introduced, they brought it back for second edition, but they, it's an option. They very carefully note that mm-hmm. it is an optional rule. Whereas right. in 3.5, it is a critical component of mm-hmm. gameplay. Yeah, the game just doesn't work without it. We, I mean, you know, as we play, and I'm sure others who are out there who have played the game, it's like you're constantly making skill checks. There is, mm-hmm. I mean, it's... Constantly. <laughs> Sometimes you're constantly failing them. <laughs> like well, Gordon. that's on you. 
<laughs> I think the skill checks thing is really interesting too because you know you're not just like it doesn't just go up to 20. I mean, if you put, keep putting points in, it gets crazy high. So it's weird oh, to suddenly yeah. be like, I got 36. Mm-hmm. By the end of the Compass Knights game, I had been putting in diplomacy and knowledge religion pretty much every uh, time I had the opportunity. And I think I was rocking a plus 45. Holy crap. Before I even rolled a die. But mm-hmm. isn't that kind of overkill? Well, on the one hand, yeah, it's kind of like sandblasting a soup cracker, but <laughs> then what happens when you run out of soup crackers and all you have is that, you know, metal obelisk that's the only thing between you and success? Sandblast that sucker. Yeah, I mean, I think to be fair, and, and you know, as, as the person who was GMing that game and, and DMing that game, that, you know, you get to a point where the things you're trying to deduce it it basically means yeah sure like any normal thing you just know but you're trying to figure out and learn about things that are so obscure and so out there and so distant down the line of the campaign Mm -hmm. that it's more representative of the fact that you know the inner workings of like the cosmology which you know what i mean or that you've personally met baba yaga you know what right. I mean? Like those things happened in that game. Yeah. And, and so like the high skill checks, they look absurd on paper or out of context. But I think mm-hmm. within the context of the game and having played it, none of it really seems that strange. I actually exactly. think it seems more strange to me when people are making skill checks at these absurd amounts in at lower levels like when mm-hmm. as gretchen is mentioning here well you know if we're playing the, the pathfinder game with you and somebody's like i get a 37 in this and i'm like you're fifth level character and yeah. you're like <laughs> doing this that to me almost mm-hmm. feels like a level of expertise which is not equal to where the care like the character's experience mm-hmm. yeah, that is a reasonable point and the only thing i can really say to justify that is if a character or for that matter a player is utterly obsessive about one or two particular facets of life they're going to get good at it even absurdly good at it <laughs> they gonna get I mean, good yeah well i mean for that matter take somebody that's uh, it's true though in, in real life yeah i mean take somebody who's on the autism spectrum and they tend to be hyper focused on very narrow interests and they can tell you everything about that interest everything everything well true enough i mean like i like well i mean i like pokemon but i met somebody that was on the spectrum and they also were enthusiastic about pokemon and by the end of it by the end of this conversation it was clear i know nothing about pokemon (laughs) (laughs) comparatively speaking right no, I, I, I'm not sure I can identify what a Pokemon is <laughs> by comparison. Um, that's interesting. So, <laughs> what, so let's let's kind of talk about the transition from 3.5 to 3.75 or Pathfinder, and um, and sort of what the changes were to you that happened between those two. So, I will give you this um, little snippet here on a personal level. I have never played a true 3.5 game. I, however, was forced 
Well, not forced. I, I, I was asked to join a game, a 3.5 game. Oh, oh, we always hear about this. Uh-oh. I was asked to join a 3.5 game and the dungeon master wanted us to build out our characters in a plan oh. form up to 20th level. Yeah. It took me 20 hours to do it's this. It's a method. Yeah. And I hated it. <laughs> I Don't blame you. Because I hate that that was even a thing. Mm-hmm. But what I find interesting, and this is why I bring this up, is not to trash 3.5. It's actually sort of uh, a a complement to Pathfinder. I feel like it became it was much. It feels much less necessary in Pathfinder to do something mm-hmm. along those lines to still have an impact on the game. Like, and I'll just take mm-hmm. my character for example in your game with Gord, who I love. I don't. I don't feel like he's falling behind the other characters no. in spite of the fact no. that he's not a skill monkey but he has no. his thing he's a skill minotaur and he gets yeah. progressively better at it mm-hmm. at a pace that feels equal to the other characters and what they're doing and yep. so but i don't know if that would necessarily have been the case if we were playing 3.5 as opposed to pathfinder i don't know how you feel about that or if that's if i'm wrong mm-hmm. about that i think that you're mostly correct I think part of the main difference between 3.5 and Pathfinder is that Pathfinder streamlined the skills a good bit. And they also streamlined how they handled skills, that you had class skills and non-class skills in both. But in Path or in uh, Pathfinder, the only difference is that you get a plus three bonus on class skills. In 3.5, you could only take up to half of your level in ranks in non-class skills. So if Gort's, what, level six paladin right now, mm-hmm. I think? Fifth, fifth level. Well, he fifth. might be sixth after the like, last session. I don't know, but. Oh. Yeah, I gotta do <laughs> it that. Was, we'll, we'll, wait, we'll wait to level up until like three hours before the game. Like you do. Or or me, I'll just wait until like four months from now. Somebody does it for you. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, but you like, know what? for example. I, look, I just want to clear the air with this. I'm also really bad about leveling up in video games. So it's not just like a, you know, it's 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 games. I, well, know. I think what Pathfinder and 3.5 do in, in your game does that makes it hard for Gretchen is she has to make choices. Yes. And choices <laughs> make it hard for Gretchen because she's not sure that she's not making the best choice. So when you play a game like Fallout, which is like a, a complicated... RPG video game. She doesn't want to. Level, she doesn't want to make a mistake. She doesn't want to make oh. a mistake on how she puts her points or does her leveling. Okay, Gretchen, I'm going to impart to you the secret of Pathfinder optimization. There are guides for each and every class, and I will send you the link to where you can download them that will tell you step-by-step step and level-by-level level how to build the most effective possible, in your case, hunter, period. It'll tell you what feats to take. It'll tell you what spells to select. It'll tell you what skills to max out and which ones to ignore. And you can follow those guides or ignore them as you see fit. Her mistake was taking a character that has a, uh, a customizable and upgradable animal companion. And oh man, that is... Spells. I was did like, choose one of the hardest classes. Yeah, I was I like, did. You know, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, so regretting it. <laughs> <laughs> I chose Gort. He chops things in half. 
with a holy vengeance. And does it's it very fun. well. <laughs> he does. He does. He so, is yeah. just brutality in uh, in a minotaur. Just yeah, he's brutality on two hooves. So let's talk about some of the other things that that three point five and Pathfinder both do. I think did really well, and that's that they were well supported. Both mm -hmm. of the games came out with a ton, a ton of material for players to use to yeah. sort of change the game and, and, and play in the flavor that they were interested in. Talk a little bit about those things. I'm not as familiar with that stuff as you are. Um, I know okay. some of the Forgotten Realms stuff, but you know, beyond that, I don't really know quite as much. Um, so, you know, kind of like talk a little bit about those things and-, and Awesome. Yeah. Okay, well, 3.5 and to an extent Pathfinder, they both came out with the same basic core classes. The standard ones that you see in most forms of D&D, fighter, cleric, bard, barbarian, rogue slash thief, druid, monk, wizard, sorcerer, cool. Okay, you get all that, it's great, wonderful. But about every year and a half, two years, they'll come out with a new clump. And there are things that you didn't know you needed until you needed it. <laughs> like um, Pathfinder gave us the Oracle. 3.5 gave us something similar in the Divine Champion. It's basically, it does for Divine Magic what Sorcerer does for Arcane Magic. That it's a spontaneous casting class that doesn't have a spell book, that has a small number of spells that they can fire off at will. Um, but honestly, even more than the classes, I liked all of the other races that were available. Mm -hmm. The previous editions, you had human, half-elf, elf, dwarf, halfling, sometimes half-orc. That's about it. But... <clears throat> uh, 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 correction. The Complete oh, Book yeah, of Humanoids... Complete Book of Humanoids added a couple dozen alternative races but i will say that uh and that was for second edition the complete book of humanoids but it, but it was did, near the end of the run well it was one of the later splat books it's i think mm -hmm. it might have come out in like in the early mid 90s so it probably mm -hmm. still had a good six or seven year run before the end of second edition but i think though that was it was definitely not thought of as being a fully embraced part of second edition. Whereas exactly. I would say that 3.5 and Pathfinder were like, not only were they releasing the books, but they were like, here's the books and you should definitely play them. Exactly. It was almost like, here's all these other things. But maybe just look, but don't touch. Mm -hmm. The second edition one also had horrible level limits and, and uh, class yes. restrictions. Yeah, it was really gruelingly punishing. Now, 3-5 kind of split the baby on that one, that they gave you all of these other exotic races, but they still punished you a little bit with, I don't recall exactly what ECL standed for or stood for, um, expanded character level or exotic character level. I think it was something. called like effective class level or something effective, like that. Yes, effective character level. That was character it. level, yeah. And yeah. you, yes, right. So you had mm -hmm. to like buy out your character right. level. And there were a couple of ways to do it uh, that either going into XP debt or, um, well, that got complicated. But basically, these other more exotic characters, they Gretchen. tend to be more. So our, listening, our listening audience can't see Gretchen because we're just doing this as an audio. But Gretchen's face is just looking like more confused and more horrid. I mean, it's just looking like, 
Oh no, please no. Dead? I, so these characters oh, mm-hmm. to explain to people who are out there who have no idea what we're talking about. Essentially, explain what, Gretchen what <laughs> you're talking about, and then you'll hit the people who don't know what you're talking about. So, perfectly. So a second level, like so, a second edition or fifth edition. Let's just take those two, which are kind of more of the popular editions. You might say, you play, you choose your character race. I mean, I mean, including 3.5. So we're talking about the three main ones. But like, let's say if you're you, in either of those, you choose your character race and let's say you choose a dragonborn versus a human there's no penalty for choosing a dragonborn over a human or there was no penalty for playing a drow elf over a regular elf in second edition or anything like that you just started with the same amount of xp and there was role-playing penalties Mm -hmm. and challenges and all of course but there was no penalty it was just left up to the dm to say no don't do that yes sure go for it and in 3.5, they counted those character, those special races as levels. So you actually mm-hmm. essentially started with levels towards your character that you had to buy off with experience points. And admittedly, those characters, they were counted as levels because they were more powerful than the basic set of, of races. Right. Like uh, in the Ravenloft game, our friend Garrett, he's playing an Asimar. In 3.5, that's, I believe, an ECL plus one or maybe even plus two race mm-hmm. because it has inherent spell like abilities. It has really good stat modifications. It has some resistances. It's just mechanically, it's simply a better choice. Mm-hmm. And, and, and other things so, mm-hmm. have solve that problem by giving the benefits, but then also balancing it out with hindrances. And 3.5, instead of giving these wild hindrances, gave the XP penalty, or not a penalty, but a level penalty. So you had to pay that XP back as you adventured, essentially. And I'm not sure exactly how it works. I can't remember. It was so convoluted and horrible. It was. It was. And that's why one of the... I mean, even I, as much as I like crunch, I didn't like that. Yeah, this sounds like Which the is... kind of crunch you break a teeth, a tooth on. I'm coming. <laughs> you like, well, you gotta yeah, like crunch. You're right. I mean, and if you think an Asimar is bad, then you take a Centaur, and that's an ECL plus five. You're pretty much never getting out of debt. Yeah, there's somebody in the game that I didn't end up playing after making the 20 hour character. And then, uh, so we decided to all share our builds and, and mm-hmm. you know, before we played. And there was one character player I just knew, I just knew he was a problem before we played. Oh, and I was like, I was going to decide if I was going to play based on what his build looked like at the end to mm-hmm. see if he was breaking the game. And <laughs> yes. The answer was yes, he was breaking the game and he was playing a fairy. So oh. he he's like a fly. It's basically the most cheesy character race you can yeah. play in the entire game. It's there's it yeah. is so absurdly broken. Mm-hmm. That, well, for <laughs> those of us who don't know, why is it broken? It's it flies, it's almost impossible to hit because small characters mm-hmm. in like tiny characters in the earlier editions are in third edition 3.5 have incredible armor class bonuses mm-hmm. essentially so he's impossible to hit magic resistance enhancements to spell casting it's mm-hmm. it's broken it's just yeah. a broken, mm-hmm. it's a broken I mean, just I mean, the flight alone would have made it 
incredibly problematic in the lower levels, but still add that to all the other stuff. And yeah, when you see somebody come out with that build, you know you're playing with capital T, capital G, that guy. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> this is the most broken <laughs> character I've ever seen in my life. I just don't think I can play this game if that's what this game is about. Mm -hmm. And the DM's effective answer was like, yep, that's what this game is about. <laughs> I was like, no. Yeah, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> nope. But don't get me wrong. I mean, I... I enjoy system mastery. There's pleasure to be found in both system mm -hmm. mastery and setting mastery. I enjoy going through the options and making an interesting character that's going to be the best that it reasonably can be at what I'm wanting it to do. But there's still an upper threshold on that. Well, that's an interesting question. So let's talk about system mastery as a concept in 3.5 and in Pathfinder, because I think that is... You know, that's an important part of whether or not gameplay is is enjoyable. I think that system mastery is critical as well from mm -hmm. if you want to run a game, there's nothing better for, to help a DM run a good game than knowing the system really, really well, because right. it means you have to railroad the characters way, way less. You mm -hmm. because whatever they do, you know, the game well enough that you don't have to panic. You can just evolve to whatever they decide to do because you know the game so you just and know kind the game. of quietly yeah yeah exactly i mean or just never prep like me and <laughs> yeah um but, but the uh, i did prep for last session a bit um the uh but but talk about the system mastery a little bit because that is a little bit challenging when you have a system that has a million books how do you kind mm -hmm. of navigate that sort of component of it and, and you know kind of what do you like about that as far as the challenge of of you know kind of figuring out all these little details and things well for me part of why i really enjoy system mastery it's the ability to pull out tiny niche things that you'd never really expect to need it's like having extra feathers in your cap that oh well here's this ridiculously obscure skill challenge i have a tool for that it was in this weird book that only came out for six months, 27 years ago, <laughs> but I'm familiar with it. Uh, it costs, sure. yeah. I mean, hey, like, okay, the spyglass thing from last night, I thought that I had gotten one. I certainly will get one sooner like, next time we have the opportunity, but we've never needed one before. We'll probably never need one again, but system mastery is being able to pull that out when it's necessary. And it's just, Again, it's like that hyper-focused interest on a particular thing that mm -hmm. the more that you dig into a thing, the more you find out these weird, obscure little facts, and the more that you can pull them out exactly when they're needed. Well, like in Pathfinder, there's a plethora of really inexpensive, on-the-surface kind of stupid magic items that when you use them correctly, they're amazing. Like, uh, for example, there's a series of feather tokens. They're oh, bird yeah. feathers with little painted designs on them. And you throw them on the ground and they turn into something. And which token will determine what it turns into. Feather token tree has been so useful on so many occasions. What it does, you throw it down on the ground and it instantly produces a 20 or 30 foot tall oak tree. It's right there. 
okay, cool. <laughs> Maybe you need it for firewood. That's obvious. Maybe you need to climb it to escape a pack of wolves, whatever, that's fine. Or maybe you hide it under the stage where the bad guy is going to be giving his speech and then you trigger it with an unseen servant causing a tree to suddenly grow up through the stage and launch the villain into the wall. (laughs) (laughs) You love unseen servant. (laughs) Oh yeah, unseen servant's great. Unseen servant is great. Those little spells mm -hmm. are, like you mentioned, I mean, I think that's one of the things like you learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, something called the sleeves of many garments. It costs 250 GP. They're basically armband cuffs and whatever clothes you're wearing, your clothes appear to fit in with whatever your social situation is and you're always clean. Hmm. Mm. Cool. Awesome. I think the 3.5 and Pathfinder have great magic items. It's Mm -hmm. complicated because they have the rather than for the most part a lot of their magic items are not entirely defined you have to you essentially create magic items by pairing an object with an effect Mm -hmm. and a material and deciding the cost and um, supplies necessary Mm -hmm. or spells to be able to create the item and right. it gets complicated. I just fell and asleep. Yeah. Well, that part of it is not <laughs> is not my cup of tea. But I will no, say. But that's also homework. That's not what you do in the middle of the game. No. And usually. Yeah. Not usually. And it's. But it's also. It's also very realistic, though. Why yeah, would there true. only be like one of the? You know, I love looking at the magic items that are available in second edition, and it's really fun. Mm-hmm. And there's the Encyclopedia Magica four volume yep. set, and it has literally mm-hmm. thousands of individual magic items and you can read through them and they're awesome and it's really yeah. fun but it also makes no sense that it would be limited in any way whatsoever because why right. wouldn't a wizard create an endless i mean they would create whatever was necessary for them mm-hmm. it wouldn't be oh we are just creating from this list of 20 different cloaks they would be exactly. creating this wide wide array and so i think 3.5 yeah. and pathfinder do that really well magic is right. really well done on that and it also synergizes well again if you're familiar enough with the system say for example it's not necessarily the most widely known rule but if your equipment is good enough it'll give you bonuses on skills so what i was mentioning earlier with those sleeves of many garments it gives you clothing that is considered masterwork clothing which means that you get a plus two bonus to skills to, to socialize and interact when you're wearing the correct clothing. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. That's a really fun thing. They started to hit on that a little bit in second edition with Mm -hmm. the Aurora's whole realms guide. And they published this really, it's a really fun book. It's still a really great book. I have a copy of it too. I love oh, yeah. it. It's so, it's the most absurdly different format of any book that came out. Um, they actually made Poor Wizard's Almanac too is the same yeah. style of format, but it's like a newsprint and it's, it's like catalog. a catalog. It's a catalog. Yeah. And Aurora's Whole Realms catalog, it's supposed to be the catalog for the stores and the stores are mm-hmm. apparently all around the realms. And you can buy these objects. And the objects are cool because they give you little tiny mini bonuses Mm -hmm. to various skills or abilities. Like, for example, you know, 
that's how I got the mechanical advantage that is applied for the cone listening cone that that Tic Tic has in my Dragonlance game because it's yeah. listed in that book. And it's just a whatever five or ten percent, whatever it might be. Five percent, so, and it's awesome. Yeah, and there are all these little things, and there's stuff like that, and that's really fun. And that's the thing: as much as Gretchen doesn't like crunch, she was able to immediately come back with its five percent. She, she got her one it little because nut. it was important. That one well, little. It's, it's 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 all it's added in is like right there. Every time I got to mm -hmm. look for my thing, I have my plus five percent. But you know what? When I put those little notes in, on on my sheets i kind of forget to mention like where it comes from sometimes. <laughs> and then i'm really confused yeah. why certain numbers and you know someone will like like you or rob will look at it and be like what the hell is going on here i'm like i don't know i don't know yeah but we can usually work our way back through it and figure out okay well i see where this number came from and that number and that number <laughs> Uh, that's weird. Let's come back to that. Okay, see that when, <laughs> oh, okay, we've accommodated everything else. This must be that. That's the only thing left. Cool. Okay. You'd mentioned the, having the problem of knowing, you know, what books and all the different books and where to look and that sort of thing. But that's been taken care of in the SRD. There's a D20 SRD. There's a Pathfinder PF, PSR, PFSRD. Yeah. And literally everything that Paizo or Watsi, as the case may be, and even a lot of the third-party publishers have created for the game, because we have the open gaming license, they've put the mechanics, not the art or the, the fluff text, but the mechanics for all of these things up on a website that's all really well indexed, incredibly easily searchable. And so, say, you want to look for magic items that give skill bonuses. There's a category. You run down the list. Boom. Say you want to look for every second level hunter spell that's ever been published. It's there. There's a link. Go to town. Yeah, and I can promise you, it's they're both. Those SRDs are both fantastic SRDs. They I are. mean, they're they're so they're so okay, so wait, good. Uh, what is what's SRD? System resource document. Okay, thank you, thank you. Yes. You so, stop sorry. talking like you're you're not talking to me, and oh, you know, like I'm sorry, Grace. Or you stop talking like you just you you're saying all these letters, and I'm just used to all these numbers, <laughs> and now I'm just super confused. Like, great, now there's there's letters. Yeah, and that's another <laughs> advantage to three point five that isn't yet true for fifth edition because <clears throat> fifth edition I don't believe is open. It's interesting because when I'm looking for a very specific rule, I can find that rule usually when I'm doing fifth edition, if I'm looking for a specific mm -hmm. rule, but it doesn't feel like it's all from one place. Right. I feel like I'm just doing a Google search and some rando is like posting up some <laughs> specific detail and I can get off, you know, I can figure that out. Whereas 3.5 and earlier, you can pretty much mm -hmm. literally find mm -hmm. Yeah, you can find you know, purple worm and that sort of thing. And right. it's all there in one place where you need it. And that's partially due to age, I think, that all the super fans have had time to go through and put everything together. That's an advantage to those games. I mean, that's yes. something that you now, you know, for example, and, and when we talk about fifth when when we talk about fifth edition later, it's, because it's gonna actually air <laughs> after this one. Um, right. and we talk with um with Cat Valentine about it, 
we mm -hmm. will we we talk a little bit about the D and D Beyond, yeah. and that is has a similar kind of thing where it adds in all the rules for you. You don't have to think about it. You can kind of put together the character, but you also and it has some free, but you also have to pay for anything beyond the most basic thing. So it's not free yet, right. really. Whereas mm -hmm. the old things, it requires a little bit more footwork, but it is mm -hmm. basically all free. Right. And there's also an appeal too with the older systems that, okay, Pathfinder is still going with the third party publications. And for that matter, technically so is 3.5 uh, with third party publishing, but Paizo and Watsi, they've completed those runs. And there is a certain amount of comfort and satisfaction in playing a game that you know everything has been published. You don't have to wonder, well, will the next book that comes out completely invalidate everything that I've been doing? <laughs> I, so that's I'm so glad that you brought that up because I wanted to I wanted to welcome you, first of all, to the club of people of game players who are playing a game that no longer has any support. Because I know that's only mm -hmm. happened to you in the last couple of years with past well, I've been doing that second edition. <laughs> and I know that was hard for you because you were a big time <sighs> Pathfinder Society player. Mm -hmm. and, and it disrupted that. And you weren't as big of a fan mm -hmm. of 2 right. Which, um, don't get me wrong, I was ready for a new edition. It needed a new edition. It's time it come. Just not that new edition. But anyway, that's a different argument. Well, I mean, and I'm, I'm sort of curious, just though, just in general, how you kind of feel about, I mean, you said it's there's something comforting about knowing that it's all out there. But mm -hmm. it is also a little harder, I think, like you had that given, like, I mean, part of the thing, you were playing Pathfinder Society, so you pretty much were guaranteed mm -hmm. to have a game or two run by people in the system that is your favorite every mm -hmm. weekend yeah. at a place and eat Mexican food and do that <laughs> whole, your whole thing that I know that you love to do. And you right. were, you know, heading up the Pathfinder Society of Savannah and you got special dice sometimes and you got little you know, widgets. I don't know what you get exactly for doing that, but I know you got little things. And then there's I got a paid in product. Yeah, mostly. well, you got paid in yeah. products, but that's cool. I mean, you get yeah. cool. You know, you get stuff. Um, yeah. People, well, I like stuff. So, oh, yeah, totally. I like stuff. <laughs> I like role playing stuff. You know, send me some role playing yeah. stuff. Exactly. Uh, but you know, eventually, of course, you 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 know, you kind of lose that, and I, I sort of wonder mm -hmm. that how you know you feel sort of about the transition from being a game that was pretty recently widely supported mm -hmm. to being a game that you kind of now have to make your own game out of. You have to find players like mm -hmm. me who are willing to join you on your adventure into the mist of Ravenloft rather than just any group that is sort of perpetuating mm -hmm. itself every weekend, like at right. Under Society. Well, I think part of my case in particular, I got lucky that the pandemic happened. And that's not a sentence I thought I'd ever say. But we all got locked down. We all, everything shut down. And so there was only a period of a few months between when I stopped doing Pathfinder Society and when Pathfinder Society temporarily stopped. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, which, don't get me wrong, yeah, they continued. They were releasing scenarios. They were playing online the whole nine yards. But it's not the same thing. Pathfinder Society is about meeting together. It's about being around a table. Yes, online is lovely, but it's about the real life interpersonal stuff. Now, I'm an extreme introvert. 
role playing is pretty much the only social interaction that I voluntarily have. <laughs> so it, on the one hand, was a big deal in that, yes, I don't like socializing, but I don't want to lose the little bit of socializing that I do like. But now I've got the Tuesday Night Dragonlands game. I've got the Ravenloft game. I've got the random pickup games that we do with the one-offs. So, yes, I'm out that regular comfort food element of, okay, I know every Saturday night I'm going to be doing Pathfinder Society. That's not the case anymore. But I still have a regular gaming fix. And I also know that well, to be honest, if I wanted to start up Pathfinder Society again outside of Paizo, I still have all that material. Mm-hmm. Bianca has been running D&D at her library off and on for years. It's pretty much a matter of putting up a flyer or putting up a website and saying, hey, I'm going to be running Pathfinder First Ed every other Monday at the library. Come on and show up. And I'm pretty sure that I'd have at least, you know, six, eight, probably more people than I could handle. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, especially <laughs> now with the popularity of, of gaming and, and mm-hmm. particularly fantasy gaming and anything that's sort of related even, you know, obliquely to mm-hmm. Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, I think there's a people want to play and somebody that's willing to run a game for them that's pretty much going to get players. It's not exactly. it's not what it was years ago. Right. Um, where you didn't really have a choice and and um, right. and you just kind of took who you could get and that was often the worst possible dregs of humanity um, that <laughs> you were able to get because those were the only people who weren't already in a game. But yeah, you're right, actually. You know, it's interesting and, and you know, we're a little off and we're kind of, I think, rounding off our discussion at 3.5 and Pathfinder anyway, but you're right in the sense that I think our, our gaming group, the at least the core of the four of us, and or five of us, I guess I should say. One of us is running yeah. the game, and then four others. <laughs> you count and, then, Rob. and then the occasional other players who pop mm-hmm. in and out on various games. Actually, has come a, become a lot stronger during the pandemic. Yeah. I think yeah. it's given us a, um, you know, an opportunity. I think to try out different games, and certainly we're really consistent. I mean, we we mm-hmm. we are really consistent. I mean, games get called off, but we pretty much. You can pretty much be sure that next week there's going to be another game. Like it's exactly. not, yeah. It's I mean, not. We're it's on not session that. sixty-five, and it started when? Yeah, I mean, it started in January of twenty twenty, and then, so I mean, you know, sixty-five in a year and a half. It's not bad. I mean, it's not every week. Not bad at all. But pretty and, good. Yeah, I mean, with Pathfinder Society, yes, it was even more consistent, but it was also consistently casual. I enjoyed it immensely, but I never got so personally involved. Uh It was, uh, it sounds incredibly pretentious and I don't mean it to be, but for me, DMing Pathfinder Society was performance art. It wasn't a campaign. It wasn't a story. It was me performing to provide the setting that the characters and the players interacted with. And that's just not the same thing that we have on our Tuesday night games or our Saturday night games. We're all together telling stories. Uh And yes, all of us are performing to some degree or another, but it's just not the same thing. In this, with society, I was 
I was focused almost entirely on the enjoyment of other people and deriving my pleasure from their pleasure rather than from the story itself. Mm -hmm. As far well, as the story itself goes, I didn't care. Well, it's also hard. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's also hard though too in those scenario in those circumstances because you might not have the same players at the table ever right. on a week to week basis, and also mm -hmm. they're not interconnected necessarily. I mean, I know some of the scenarios were interconnected and they would be in mm -hmm. in you know multiple parts, but you're not playing a campaign, so right. you know you're right to a certain like the outcome of that particular scenario doesn't really impact the next scenario except in the case of like what stuff maybe somebody gets exactly. because of having mm -hmm. completed that scenario and being able to purchase said items right. that are in the scenarios reward mm -hmm. blog right you know, now on a purely so cynical basis i got the same rewards for running the thing whether the players completed the adventure or not <laughs> 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 that's funny but i know you made good friends i know you like bianca played oh, yeah. a lot with you and bianca's in our yeah. group and we love bianca and uh, i know yeah. john too you played a lot mm -hmm. with him and, and griff and friend of yours. justin and griff, yeah. griff is great yeah. too um mm -hmm. so yeah i mean you make friends and everything like i think you're right though i mean i think that's one of the things i, I think it is very much a social event and you know when mm -hmm. i went it felt like that it felt yeah. more definitely more casual and i think mm -hmm. that's kind of part of it is like you know you're also playing in in a store or or right. some sort of location that is not mm -hmm. you know you you there's going to be a certain level of distance that you're going to put between mm -hmm. yourself and your character because you're, you're in on the display. public yeah you're yeah yeah so whereas it were mm -hmm. i mean like you weren't at the 10 candles game that we played with the group and we're gonna have to play it again so you could be yes. there Yes. People got deeply involved in their characters mm -hmm. in that in a way that you would never get in a game exactly. that's in public. Right. Because yeah, no Pathfinder Society that I've ever played or ran has made me cry. Your DMing has made me cry on oh, I cried. A <laughs> I cried when you carried <laughs> when when uh when your character carried um I forget what her name was up the silver oh, stairs um, and delivered her to the god because uh, she had Oh God! Marina, Marana, Marwina, Mir, Merwin, 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 Merwin. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, I, we don't want to get yeah. too deep into it, but basically, no. Merwin had been holding the power of the God of Magic within her body and was given the power when she was a teenager, and that's when, when your character met her, mm -hmm. when Amanda's character met her, and then basically a year later in campaign time, and probably three years later in. I mean, uh, three years later in campaign time and a year later in actual play time, they finally caught back up with her. And right. she was very old because the magic Burned had out. aged her to yeah. like death, basically. Mm -hmm. And so, oh, your character carried her up the silver <laughs> stair to the, 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 the land of the gods so that she could rest peacefully in like the afterlife. It was so sad. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> but that was that you know that's what happens when you have the deep campaign where you're really entwined with the mm -hmm. characters and and pacing is different in every game you know it's it's interesting because i actually feel like you guys in the dragonlance game were 60 some sessions in but i don't mm -hmm. I, I don't feel you're at the same level of depth of connection with the character 60 no. sessions in this game as mm -hmm. you were in the compass nights but i also feel like now you're starting to because you're mm -hmm. out of 
the progress of character development in mm-hmm. second edition is much slower than it is in Pathfinder in 3.5, which is True. another thing, you know? So okay. I had it at basically every three to four sessions you were leveling mm-hmm. and everybody levels at the same rate. Right. So anyway, interesting. I'll admit part of that too, I can't help but wonder if that isn't partially a difference of addition too, that having more complicated, crunchy character sheets leads to more complicated, nuanced characters Mm, quicker. Mm. That's interesting. I do feel that Gort, my character in your game, Mm -hmm. my paladin, I I love Gort. Mm -hmm. I mean, like he feels really- Gort's awesome. I I love Gort. Gort's really fun. Everybody loves Gort. Everybody loves Gort. But I mean, I feel like Gort is not just a caricature though either, because like, Mm -hmm. sure, you know, he has his meat bag and, you know, he like kills (laughs) things. But then yeah. I had that really, I loved the scene where he took in the were rat boy and was yeah. going to try to mm-hmm. like, and how he has this sort of disturbing thing with cannibalism <laughs> and, like you, you know, and, and like those stories, so they feel, they feel real to me. It made me feel really mm-hmm. uncomfortable last session in the best yeah. way, because as you know, I don't <laughs> mind feeling uncomfortable. I kind of like it, but yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I do expect a, uh, a, a little bit more depth to emerge mm-hmm. in the coming months of the Dragonlance campaign. I agree, and as well it should, but just consider how long it's taken versus how long it took with Compass Knights. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, I would also, it's interesting too, I think, well, I don't know, maybe it's players can make a difference too. I mean, I think- True. You know, we had two players in the game who are no longer in the game, who mm-hmm. there was a tension, a player tension involved yeah. with one of those players that mm-hmm. I think sort of distracted from the mm-hmm. con- the depth of connection between mm-hmm. the, p- the players. And I think that yeah. there was a little bit of a wall put up. Plus we played on Zoom the whole time and True. we weren't playing in person mm-hmm. until recently. Course, add- yeah, and add to that too, in the early stages of the Compass Nights, we had so many players passing in and out. True. I mean, we probably had what, maybe 12, 15 players? I mean, never all at once, but maybe even more than that over the course of the campaign entirely. Carlos, Nick, that other guy, Dylan. Uh, yeah, Mitch, Dylan, Anna, Celeste, Nick, uh, Kenneth. Well, Kenneth was there for the most duration, but so many people coming in and out, some of them short-term, some of them long-term. And yeah, the early stages. <laughs> It took a little time to come together. I remember we played a session, and we'll we'll wrap up here in a second, but I remember we we played a session, and at the time, I don't know how it happened, but we had eight players, and I was was in a living room. Yeah. It was at at Dylan and Anna, Mm -hmm. and it was just this giant circle of players, and I was, and I, I remember we sat down and I was looking around and I was like, this is too damn it's many too players. Much. Yeah. <laughs> it was in a, a Pathfinder Giant Slayer campaign, which is one of their adventure paths that had eight players throughout the entirety of the campaign. And, you know, props to that GM. I don't know how he did it. I couldn't do it. It's, oh, oh but my no. God. No, that's just yeah. too many. I could yeah, run it, but I don't think it would be as fun for the players mm-hmm. because if you think about it, the way that I look at it is you take an hour of running a game 
and mm. you divide that hour up into the number of players based on you kind of how you want to average the amount of attention that each player right. gets in a game. Mm -hmm. And so when you have four players, that's 15 minutes per hour, which means there are 45 minutes of each hour that they are not the focal point. That doesn't mean they're not doing right. anything. You know, oftentimes mm -hmm. they might be looking up spells or figuring stuff out or just engaged in but what's happening in and being interested. They're not in the spotlight. Yeah. So take that 15 minutes per player when you have four and jump that up to eight. Yeah. You're seven yeah. and a half minutes of every mm -hmm. hour. That means 52 and a half minutes out of every hour, they are not mm -hmm. in the spotlight. That's a really a lot of time mm -hmm. for, to ask somebody to sit at a table mm -hmm. and not be the spotlight. Especially we had seven yeah. for Dragonlance, right? Didn't we have seven for a while? No, we all, we had six and me, six. so seven players, seven total yeah. at the table. Total, brothers. Yeah. Mm, yeah okay yeah yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's a, that's a lot yeah when you consider too not all players are equally comfortable in the spotlight mm -hmm. and for those of us like myself that are a bit pushier it's so hard not to inject yourself even if you're not trying to to hog the spotlight but you still want to make suggestions you want to help yeah but, and so let's say like two of uh, those players take 10 minutes instead of their seven mm -hmm. and a half minutes, then you right. lose five minutes of playtime. Mm -hmm. That's 40 minutes divided by the remaining six characters. Then you're mm -hmm. even down to less. You're down to six minutes mm -hmm. and some time per character. It's it's untenable to me. Right. I couldn't, if I was a player, I'd be like, what am I doing here? Exactly. You know what I mean, like I'm sitting mm -hmm. here most of the game doing nothing or yeah. not doing nothing, but my character is essentially off stage or mm -hmm. on the side of the stage, you know, yeah. in the back. I mean, as yeah, as dedicated as I am to gaming and committed to being there, you know, when I say I'm gonna be there, I'll be honest, there were times in that Giant Slayer game that I just, I mean, I would never just no call, no show, but there were times when I would, you know, say, you know, no guys, I'm not gonna make it this time, just because I knew that I wasn't needed and didn't really wanna be there with that, many people stuffed into a living room <laughs> yeah no that sounds miserable it's just uh, no uh, especially right. since that particular play environment lacked a central table oh, so God. we were all playing on our laps and yeah. and you know and, yeah. and maybe this should be a future episode too but i also feel like sometimes some gamers have um a difference of opinion on what good personal hygiene is <laughs> and when you cram that many people into a warming yeah. room it i, I, it's I we'll talk about that in the gamer etiquette episode but look let's let's wrap this up because we've yeah. talked a long time and i want to <laughs> i want to be considerate of our listeners who are probably in the midst of a two-hour pod, podcast right now but Amanda, um, thank you so much, by the way, for for your input on this and um, and love. Of course, it's it's. Uh, I was thinking about it. And I I believe that we have played together. We're coming. We're getting close to about a decade of playing together, I which, think is so. really, which is uh, terrifying. I know. God damn, we're getting just older and older. I mean, we're older. Yeah. <sighs> I was thinking the Compass Knights took three years to play through. So I'm like, if I live, if I play D and D 
for another 30 years, I could do 10 more camp Compass Knights cam style campaigns. So there will never be another Compass Knights. No, there. I think not. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was my campaign that I had always dreamed of. So that was uh, a, a risk for It's the game. It's the one I will never forget. Yeah, me too. Me feel so good. Um, and then, and oh, the warm fuzzy. And you know, I also just want to point this out. It wasn't until recently that you actually asked Amanda how she pronounces her last name. So Legman. that's a really good point. Yes. That's a really good point. Well, and I will say this as though I it's, I've made it very clear that two that second edition is my favorite edition. That Compass Knights game was a 3.5 Pathfinder game, as we've said. So although 2E is my favorite, my favorite mm -hmm. game I've ever played was a 3.5 Pathfinder. I didn't know it was 3.5. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what people were playing then. Because that was yeah. Before actually, that was before I think even fourth edition came out, because fourth edition no. was just coming out. Yeah, four E came out because four E was what actually caused Pathfinder. That's right. Right. That's right. Yeah, four E been out for about two years now, about three years, because Pathfinder been out for about a year and a half. I actually remember early on yeah. in that Compass Knights campaign, the uh, fifth edition playtests were happening. Yep. And I believe and you I were was, involved, yes. I was part of the beta testing on that, yeah. Yeah, because mm -hmm. I, I remember you kind of bringing in some stuff to a game and mm -hmm. at Donnie's house, and yep. uh, and we were just sort of talking about it and everything like that. Ah, the good times. Anyway, let's get out of here. We'll Now let's move on to the next and final fifth edition. Thanks, Amanda. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Amanda. Edition War. 5e all right so edition wars and we are now to our final segment which is 5e the most recent edition for now i'm sure 6e is very close should and we be. yeah it should be i think so and we've got cat valentine on and cat is really active in our local gaming community in fact cat why don't you kind of let everybody know like what you do, what you're involved in, because it's a lot of things and I can't possibly do you justice. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Yeah, I am involved in a lot uh, locally here in Savannah. I manage a lot of the other little pages, our Savannah D&D page, the uh, tabletop RPGs. I think there's a few other ones, but I just kind of make sure that everyone's getting along and that, hey, I'm new. I want to make sure that they're introduced and, you know, have a place to be. And we don't want gamers that are you know not going to mesh well into a group because i don't want someone that's brand new coming in thinking oh i don't like dnd because mm -hmm. i had a bad experience so it's to me it's such a great way to meet people it's such a great way to connect and network and just de-stress so it's something i love doing and then eventually i ended up in the nerd asylum which is actually a content creation group that heavily focuses on charity streaming and mm -hmm. so this year we've actually managed to get to about over $17,000. Wow. Wow. Network, and we're still going strong. Um, so we have a lot of fun. We've got a lot of podcasts. Uh, we've got a lot of different uh, live streams and a bunch of new ones coming up right now that are from Pokemon to your spooky, spooky stuff to uh, 10 Candles, our WIC uh, game right now. Uh, we've got an Aridin podcast, which is a Witcher podcast. We've got Vampire the Masquerade. We've, we've got so much talent coming out wow. of this place. It is ridiculous. And I'm really proud because it's growing and 
anyone can join. So if you guys want to come check us out, you can check us out at thenerdasylum.com. Uh, you can check us out on YouTube as well. We're on, we're pretty much on all week now <laughs> streaming on uh, Twitch. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and I know you, it's funny because I follow along a little, I mean, I'm, I'm old man, old man Rob here and his, you know, use of the interwebs, but I was, I, I enjoy sort of following along in the Facebook pages that you manage. And one of them, you know, I was, there was a, a new game that you guys were doing. I think it might've been a D&D game and like you had a ton of applicants and you're like, oh, tell us a little bit more, actually. No, we can't make a decision. We need more information. And I thought that was kind of cool. And people seemed really engaged, which was neat, so. Yeah, I really cannot wait now that, well, now we, we are having that spike again back in COVID, but once yeah. things are a lot settled and more people are vaccinated and they feel comfortable that we can, A, find a better space here in Savannah. That is overall the goal and the dream. We did lose a lot during COVID. We lost uh, the Chromatic Dragon and Jolly mm -hmm. Goblin and all of that space that people want to play and there's only so many places so we want to have that place for everyone to be and come play and come check out how to play and not just D&D but all different types of tabletop RPGs because you might not be into D&D you might be into Star Wars you might be into Ten Candles you might be into um uh what is that Mad Matter can't think of that. It's such a good one too. <laughs> I mean, there's a million kids on there's bikes. There's things, the zine. There's all those, a lot of zines that I are out coming out now. Yeah. I remember basic training, just even playing D and D, like uh, our own little version of D and D through writing. Like, and we would pass these like notebooks. <laughs> it was just it was, it was <laughs> nice. a, a great time, but it was a good way to like chill out and just have a little adventure while you're embracing the stuff, as they say. <laughs> That's funny. Well, now I know we had a little bit of back and forth conversation before this podcast and, and you were kind of mentioning that you're thinking it's time for a sixth edition, but I brought you on here to be an advocate for fifth edition because I know you're a big time advocate for it. You play it a lot. And actually one of the first sort of contacts I had with you was through when you were operating and sort of um, managing the Coastal Empire DMs Guild. And one of the things I love that you were doing back then is you were trying to get basically a bunch of DMs together to take turns DMing so that way nobody ever had to be the forever the DM, forever like, DM. like this guy right here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so we have that real, especially like here, and I think it's everywhere right now because people are trying to find things to do. Um, and it's great. You can play Skyrim all day long, but that is as much as you can customize that you can't decide what your story is. You have to stay within this box, you know, and tabletop RPG just allows that. And 5e is, I think out of every single one is the easiest to get into. And that has its pros and its cons, of course. Um, well, talk about some of the pros. Like what? It, what is, why do you think it's, you know, what is it about it that makes it, you think easier to get into than maybe some of the other previous editions? Um, so we have the, the term crunchy, um, when it comes to tabletop RPG, meaning it's just, it's too much rolling, too much dice, too much, you know, you got to go through all these layers before your turn is done. And so it takes, if you're having that issue where you have that player who's like, I haven't read any of my spells. I've been at this table for five minutes. I know it's my turn. And now suddenly, oh yeah, let me read my spells to figure out what I'm going to do on top of all the crunchy math and the numbers and the adding and subtracting and you know all that it's it can be such a turn off because a lot of people 
don't like combat because of the crunchiness. But 5e, I think, makes it a lot easier so that instead of doing a listen check like you would in, say, 3.5, and as a DM, you're like, is it a listen check or is it, well, it's kind of this, but it's also, you've got a perception check. It's done. It's everything. Mm -hmm. You don't have to really think about it. It's really simplified a lot of things from 3.5 and Pathfinder. Um, you can literally look into this. You can just come in. I'm a tiefling warlock done, you know, and your spells are pretty, pretty laid out there. The book is pretty intuitive. I, I know people will look at the books and go, oh, no way. That's too much reading. And I'm like, hold on. <laughs> you only have to read your section. <laughs> and it's not as much as you think it is. And you really don't have to read as much. You just get the basic concept and you can literally just build this and go. And it's so much easier to learn how to play as you go. It is an intimidating book, especially when you have so many. <laughs> like I yeah. Um, but it's nowhere near like Pathfinder <laughs> or three point or any of the other. <sighs> like Pathfinder is a 600 page book. And I mean, of course, that's the DM's guide and the player's guide together. But, you know, it's interesting. One of the things, too, is that. I think that's a really great advantage for 5e is that it has really great internet support. Like you can oh, use yeah. a site like DD Beyond and you really don't need to even have the books. I you don't even don't yeah. know anything. I think they I think uh Wizards of the Coast and DD Beyond that just in general, that concept now is so I mean, we have um I don't know if you guys are familiar with Demiplane. Mm -hmm. Um Demiplane is great because you can go in. Daddy son right now. Well, Lincoln can be in this podcast anytime he wants. So <laughs> I mean the podcast is RPGs and baby makes three. So a time a kid walk doesn't walk in on an episode, there's something going on. <laughs> it's true. I totally <laughs> I'm very familiar with my kids. They'll just be there and I'm like, oh hi. <laughs> you know not to be in mommy's peripherals. Um but yeah, I think that um having all of those things, it just the making it so simplified, like demiplane.com is great. It's, we joke around a lot. Um, we're really good friends with the creator um, over at Nerd Asylum and he's amazing. And he's, it is turned into like tender, but like for tabletop RPGs, you do a little, <laughs> little, little thing. Like, how do you like to game? I like this much combat and this much puzzles and this much, you know, RP. And you get connected with people who are like-minded in that aspect. So you don't have to Ooh. do that awkward, like, oh, this guy is totally into, you know, running these dungeon crawls and I'm just not about that. And again, you get into that, I don't want to play anymore because that is people's perception. But when you come into it, you pair that in with the D&D Beyond, you don't even have to think about it. You just do it and go. And there's so many pre-gen stuff. And I think it's a lot easier for people to just get in and go. You got it on your app now. They, they're improving yeah. everything constantly. They're making it easier. Same thing with Demiplane. They're just making it so you can do everything, all their, your recording, or not your recordings, but your, um, you know, your videos, your maps, your character sheets, your rolls, your dice rolls. You don't even need to have dice anymore. <laughs> Like it's yeah, and well, what's yeah, and I love that about that's one of the things I think is such a great innovation with like something like D and D Beyond is like it does all the math for you, so you literally just click on the thing that your DM tells you that you're supposed to do. So like as a player, 
you can just go right in, especially a new player, like people like maybe like us who have played a lot and it's not really, it's become intuitive for us. Like we've gotten used to okay, playing okay. the games. Okay, well, okay, well, speak for yourself, all right? <laughs> I, you know, we're, we're on session 65 of this Dragonlance game and I'm still like, what am I, what, what, huh? I wasn't going to call you out. That they still need to work on, for example, like um, different little like house rules, like uh, how you do your critical hits, whether it's, mm -hmm. you know, full damage plus rolls or double your hits or whatever is going on at the table. There's little things like that where it's like, mm, I wish they'd fix that. Not necessarily an issue or like sneak attack damage, for example, that's a whole another issue especially right. when you crit when you crit and you have house rules that's when the game the the system's kind of a little meh but they're steadily working on it and right improving i mean they improve every thursday every thursday there is a new update yeah and that's minutia too i mean like even though that's you know it's important to people like us who are like long-term gamers and we nerd out and like we like to customize our games for our own particular table. For like somebody that's new, I think that that's something that's really nice. You know, another thing I really like about it too, as a somebody who's like a busy parent, that I like um, from the way that you build a character in in fifth edition is how it incorporates like backgrounds and those kind of traits into the character creation. So like it almost develops a personality for you. So like if you come down and you haven't had like, let's say you have like a normal life as a parent during the week and you haven't had any time to think about your character and so you're sitting <laughs> down to make it. Yep. You're, yeah, and you're like, oh, what am I gonna do? Slap something together. <laughs> yeah, and like, it. whereas it I think- It takes that guesswork out for you. Totally. It's, it's, like, it's, it's there for the new people that like, uh, what do I do? What kind of background do I want to have? It's there, it explains it. It shows you, hey, this is your positive parts about getting this. You know, and it after a while, I think it does kind of become a bit intuitive after you've done it like once or twice. You're like, okay, like now I get why the background is important. Now I get why, um, you know, choosing these stats. It's it's one of those things where I'm like, I never thought I was a power, you know, a, a min maxer because um, I'm very much like min-maxing looks like someone likes to do combat a lot <laughs> but then you get that other person where you're like why why did why did you build an orc wizard why did you do that <laughs> for the long <laughs> but you can do that in 5e like you can do that and make it work <laughs> you can have these weird little combinations and at that point it's all about the personality on whatever you throw at mm -hmm. it and I love that too, the background, you know, for, for gamers who, maybe like us, who are more experienced gamers, you have that opportunity to, like they, those kind of background things, like they are little descriptions, which I think for me, at least when I've made 5e characters, and I, and I have limited 5e experience, but I have some, and that's, it's provided like a really nice seed, like it'll kind of get my, my imagination going and I'm like, oh, yeah, here's this, and this is how, what that means to me. And like, I can kind of start to develop the personality in my head. And so like, you know, a lot of the times I think one of the disadvantages of the older systems is that you would kind of sit out at the table and it's really like three, four, five sessions before you really grasp what the character is. Say more. I yeah, maybe more even more. Because like we said before, it does get to be, like I do love Pathfinder and 3.5 and the fact that as far as 5e goes like the cons is like you'll 
always have a tiefling warlock. Like it's just like everybody's a tiefling warlock. It's not even a surprise anymore. You know, of course the elf rogue, like that's such a, it's such a staple, you know, but in Pathfinder, you have like these, I'm a witch, super good. I think at one point we had a guy who like put all of his points into listen and he could hear money. Like it just became a running joke. He's like, is there a living room? And he's like, had like a bajillion points and listen. And it was just ridiculous. And we're like, it, yeah, now you have the ability to hear money. Like, <laughs> but it would just be such a wonky, like a very specific. And to me, I feel like it's more personable, personal. Like I am a scientist. I am, I have all the things that I would need for science and anything else I don't know. I'm just lucky if I happen to know it, but mm -hmm. in, uh, or in, in 5e, you don't, yeah, you have the, the tiefling warlock and all that, but the RP aspect, the background and how you use that, because again, when you're first starting out, you're like, okay, I'm a folk hero when this is my little thing. And then by the fifth character, you're like, okay, so I'm a folk hero, but listen up, this is how I became a folk hero. <laughs> and this is why I have all of this, you know, this is why I have perception as my, you know, um, expertise, you know, because I'm really good. And these little things, it, it does, it takes that weight off of you and allows you to go, I'm good at perception, but why? What in my background or what in my character is allowing me to have these abilities. And one of my favorites, I had like a rogue that had a really ridiculous high decks, right? And uh, the joke was I had small hands, very small, thin hands. <laughs> and so you can add that into your RP. Like, yeah, she's good at these things because she's got tiny hands, very thin hands. But for some reason, she couldn't hit. Like to <laughs> she was gonna physically punch you. And of course she doesn't have any strength, so it's not even gonna hurt, but I couldn't even land a hit. And the joke was that it's because she has these tiny hands <laughs> and she's not going to really try to hurt you because these are her money makers. She's not going to try and break her hand on your face, you know? So it, it adds to that RP and it adds to that very personal. That's why people get so, so attached to their characters. Like, yeah. I was going to say that. Make so many of them. Cause you're just minding your own business. You're like, yo, but what if an orc was a wizard because he's a half orc and he's not really strong because he's a half orc and we know all the lore. And that's the other thing that comes with 5e. The lore is so at a point now, let's just not, let's just not talk about spell play. Let's just pretend that didn't happen. Let's just. <laughs> well, I think that they've pretended it didn't happen at this Everyone point, right? Did. Yeah. You put 4E in a box and buried it and no one talks about it. <laughs> We're not even doing a segment on 4E during the, the edition wars. So there you go. <laughs> it's, uh, for people Sorry, 4E. 4E was, it was, there was inherently nothing wrong with it. It's just, again, crunchy and it was more of a dungeon crawl than it was. It, it took kind of the the flavor and the RPing of it just took it out and it, it kind of just it that's why I think it didn't do so well. I've heard it described as World of Warcraft the RPG. Yeah, it didn't yeah, really it, feel yeah like if a, I wanted to play a video game I I would just yeah. do it I wouldn't do my own math on a video game that's <laughs> that's really <laughs> homework <laughs> I'm not here uh, for this. Nice. That's funny. But, yeah. So it it does. 5e has a just just dungeon dragons has a rich rich history i mean i'm now at a point where i just i think i know too much <laughs> like you can ask me about elves and i'm like yo let me tell you about these elves and let me tell you why drow 
are the best. Well, it's funny you mentioned drow. So I have my my Menza Berenson yes! shirt on right I love now. That. <laughs> I'm in. Um, but I also, you know, you you were talking about oh, there's always uh, there's always this um, this warlock in the in the five E games. Well, so for for me with the second edition, which is where you know my my uh, bread and butter is, is there was always a um, a drow ranger because everybody mm -hmm. wanted to play Dritz from the book. Yeah. So so that's kind of funny. <laughs> Um, yeah, I know it is interesting. Now, I, I want to talk about one thing that I think is the most brilliant sort of mechanical part of 5e that I think is just so great, and that's advantage and disadvantage. I think that yes. that for a mechanical thing, I, that is a, that's something that I would add to almost any game. And and so for those who don't know what that is, kind of describe what it is, and then you know maybe we can talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So advantage and disadvantage. So normally you'll have your twenty-sided dice. You're gonna throw to see if you're gonna be successful. Like I'm going to hit you, but um, I'm a drow. It's daytime. I've blinded because I'm used to being in the dark. So I'm gonna have disadvantage trying to hit you because daylight sucks and I'm used to being underground. So you would roll two dice and you'd pick the lesser number of the two. So that would be your disadvantage. And the same thing would work for advantage. You roll two dice, and then you take your the higher number, and that would be your actual number. So you get twice the chance to be successful or non-successful. It really sucks when you roll two ones. <laughs> well, for sure. But it's really cool, though, because I think it's a really nice, and I think that they've sort of determined that it is essentially a plus five or a minus five. I think that yes, the, like sort exactly. of mathematically speaking, yeah. and it's a really nice, like you said, it's streamlined because, you know, when you, you compare it, right. When you compare it to something like three, five Pathfinder and you're adding up like all these various, like I have, I actually have for my Pathfinder character that I play, it's Gort's cheat sheet and it's my fighting cheat sheet. And it has like, in this specific circumstance, he gets these bonuses. In this specific circumstance, he gets these. And I have to have this yeah. sheet because- and You have to remember them because you feel like, oh crap, I forgot to add this. And, and you still have that in 5e. I still, especially when you get to higher levels, of course, mm -hmm. um, you'll have that. I'm, I do it all the time. Like, oh crap, I forgot I had all these extra rolls I could have done. Well, tough. <laughs> it, it's definitely, it's even as a DM, it's, it takes the guessing work on the other mm -hmm. side of the screen where I'm like, okay, so, well, you're a pill and right, so you gotta, you're flat footed and then, okay, so then you're also carrying this stuff and you're trying to go to stealth. So and you have uh, heavy armor and then, okay, so that's like a- I feel like getting ready to have an anxiety attack just hearing yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> you're not a numbers person. Calm down, turn, calm down. It'll just turn you off. If you're not into this, you mm -hmm. don't wanna play because of these little tiny, and. In hindsight, after playing 5e for so long, there are definitely now an IDM, I have my own house rules, and I'll take certain things from other previous editions. You know, like, okay. Like Thacko, like example. you're taking Thacko, oh, right? I'll use that all day long because for me, I'm like, bro, bro you're not, like, you no. can use difficult terrain as it, but you know, you're not difficult terrain. You are flat-footed or dude, yeah. you just jumped from three feet. Yeah, you landed, but you broke your ankle, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not running across that field. You're just not. So, you know, not, you know, minus five to your, you know, uh, speed or, or something that would just make sense. And 5e, I think allows for once you get into that system and you're, you're understanding it on the other side of the screen, you can make those house rules. And it makes it so much easier because everything else is already done. I don't have to 
do anything else. I can go, oh, okay, perception, but what's your passive perception? You know, I'm not going to make your role because you, you're not actively looking for it. It's something that if you were just right. walking by, it would be there, which by the way, DMs, please, if there's anything you get out of this, please remember <laughs> that you have passive perception. Know them so that you're not making your players <laughs> roll for no reason. And then you get into that awkward, like, I needed you to see that. And you couldn't even roll a simple 10, but their passive perception is 16. You're the jackass now. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's one of the things that's great too. I mean, I think the, that 5e really allows for that. It's a really good structured like base system and it allows for a certain level of customization. And I think that even like recent supplements for the, you know, for the game, for 5e have sort of, I played into that a little bit. I think that they understand that. They're, the recent um, Tasha's book, for example, which the Tasha's Cauldron of Everything sort of allowed for more customization. It actually kind of reminds me a little bit of the Skills and Powers books that were released during the second edition, uh, yeah. which came, yeah, which came, those came out about six years into the run of second edition. And I mean, Tasha's came out essentially six years into the run of fifth edition. And it was a bit of a precursor to third edition coming out when that came out in second edition. So we were kind of talking a little bit about, and I think that's why you're saying it's time for a sixth edition. It's time, you're, we were just, I feel like we're adding too much now. I mean, again, I, I love that the fact you start the game, you know, the first thing in the book is like, this is your world. These are the rules. These are more like guidelines. You don't have to, there's certain things that just need to be said sometimes that I'm like, why did it need to be said? It was, why are we having an announcement? It, we've already stated this several times. Like if you don't want your drow to be evil, they don't have to be. And if right. someone isn't okay with that, they can leave. Like, why are we having this conversation? <laughs> um, but yeah, we started with, we had like um, the first supplement one, which the one that I really am thinking of is um, Xanathar, not Xanathar's. It has Xanathar in the front. Um, yeah, Xanathar. Xanathar yeah. everything. It yeah. was one of the first major um, books that I can remember that was like, here's extra spells, here's extra things, here's extra characters. And now I, again, go back to D&D Beyond. It's great. Anyone can, hey, check out this thing I made. Check out this class. Check out this subclass. And you have that just, I mean, anything under the freaking sun is out there now right and people can make these things and some of them are awesome balanced and some of them are broken <laughs> yeah <laughs> broken um and it, it's great like i've created my own class before as well and it's it like it was pretty it looked great on paper and then in practice it was super broken <laughs> it was <so> OP. <laughs> but it was such a great game that we had when we played it but anyone can do that because the formula is there and it's a very simple formula. And now that we're adding so many extra supplements, I think that now it's 6E would be a great time to start working into it, you know, um, either simplifying it or being able to branch it off. And I wouldn't say go back a step into like 3.5 and, and 3E, but kind of, okay, like now that we've got the perception, can we do anything with this skill check? Can we mush it in with something else or can we, do we, do we need to separate it? Right. What did we learn from 5e now that it is a accessible everywhere? It's 
it's easy to get into. Anyone can do it from your six-year-old to your 78-year-old grandma. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to get into. So what can we do with it to make it easier so that, hey, I just picked this up, bought it today, and let's just do it. Um, my nephew's been like, hey, teach me how to play. I'm like, okay, it's not that we have to sit down. It's just like, I don't know what level that you want to get into this. <laughs> be able to, like, do you, you know, want to mainline it like I am? Yeah. Or you Because <laughs> once you go in, you ain't coming out. Video games are going to be so par. <laughs> What do you mean I can't go into that village? Why would you even put it on the map? <laughs> you know, but then you have that DM where like, I wasn't planning it. it okay, I guess we're doing this now, you know? Oh, uh, well, Gretchen <laughs> will tell you my, my style is basically entirely improv. I, I don't have any time to prep anymore. I mean, so you have to like learn to, to, to fill, it's, you figure again, it out. I have so many supplements to take from and mm -hmm. I love, I, I have like never played Curse of Strahd until like recently. Now that I'm in a Curse of Strahd game, I say Curse of Strahd with with uh, not asterisk but um, quotation marks because our version of Curse of Strahd is not even close to the book. Mm. I think we the book, we looked through it and threw it out the window, um, and that was because a lot of our players had already run it, right. played it, so he needed to do something with it that was different. Which again, you can look through any book take whatever you want, puzzles, characters, NPCs that are already done and made for you and throw something together in five minutes, which I've done before. I've taken so many puzzles out of the Curse of Strahd castle portion. It's ridiculous. It's too easy to just take things and throw it together. Um, my favorite way of making things is like, I made an entire camp little mini campaign based off of my walk from my car all the way to my office at Gulfstream. <laughs> and just turned it into a whole little thing like there was like okay you're gonna get here by boat to the little island and then you have to go through the underground maze which is just like me going through cubicles and stuff and then like you gotta go across a river and there's like a bunch of like water dragons in there so you gotta figure out how to go across which is just a street that you had to cross and there was you know constant you know two by fours and and trucks going through there and it was kind of like can i go are you gonna kill me do you see me <laughs> and then you know going up a mountain and that was me going up the stairs you know so it was like you can you could do so much with it now and it's so easy to do and if you don't know how to do it you can pick up a manual i have never finished minds of Pil pilf i don't even know no who knows that's forget it i've never ever ever finished it it's like a 30 page book but every single time i play i play with the weirdest people that do the weirdest <laughs> things and the whole game derails like quickly and i'm like well i guess we have a campaign now but that is what is best about those things is that you yeah you can continue to follow that book or just use it as a reference as you create your own stuff because you don't really you don't really need to prep most dms i know don't prep they have three things written down for what needs to get done today in this session. And then the rest is up to you weirdos. Because <laughs> I can't plan anymore. I can't plan for whatever my players are going to do. Because you think they're going to go left and then they dig a hole. Oh my gosh, I know. I have one really, really good note taker in our group. And I'm like, God damn it. 
because oh, <laughs> like, oh yeah his name is toby shut up kyle shut up <laughs> she's <laughs> great she's a great great player no, but it's also no, i like, love it how you've defaulted to uh his name is npace <laughs> <laughs> everyone's toby kyle or mariah oh my god that's so funny well <laughs> look at i want to i want to broach another topic here um so you know 5e i think there's a this is just such a people just want to set this stuff on fire right now so i just kind of want to get a feel for how you you view it Let, to put it in in one person's terminology you know 5e is really becoming this woke culture and it's just really getting annoying because it's just it's all cancel culture now and so tell me what do you, what do you feel about this i think in this aspect because i i'm very much definitely pros and cons for cancel culture but you don't need to politicize this game because at that point you become a gatekeeper and i'm a hundred percent will kick you in the face if you're a gatekeeper because this is supposed to be a game for everybody mm -hmm. to play how they want to play so again if this person says drow are evil because lore says they're evil whether it's my lore whether it's dnd lore and if you're not okay with that let's have a conversation it should be a conversation not an automatic well you're racist it it, it blows my mind because i'd be like okay dwarves are evil are you saying i hate midgets like <laughs> god like, like we don't need that kind of gatekeeping in this and we fought so hard as far as being a female in this industry and in general in the gaming world. I've been to places where I can't play because I'm a girl or I have to play a girl. I can't play a female or a male if I wanted to. Or if someone wants to come to the table and be like, I want to be asexual and genderless, non-binary. I'm like, cool. Do you want to be that as an elf? Do you want to be that as a a warforged like wh what's going on like it should be an open conversation mm -hmm. with your dm and as a dm you have to be open to these things because yeah okay drow are evil but i don't want to be an evil drow okay so let's come up with what's going on what happened to your character let's this is a chance to be creative for both parties and bring something different to the table um I had a really great time making um, a really odd character that was a half-orc drow. Um, and it was just an interesting mm. little thing that we had for a little while. And it was fun because that character was just oblivious. He had no idea that his people were evil. He's like, both? My my parents were evil? No way! They're the <laughs> nicest people! Like, <laughs> And it was this world where I was like, I didn't want it to be evil, but I was like, you know what? This could be a great chance for a story. This could be a great chance to explore these things, explore that racist tension, because we do live in a world that has it. Let's, if you want to bring it to the table, let's do it in a safe way where people can have these conversations because I've had players that um, don't speak English very well. Um, cool. Uh, three other players spoke Spanish. So it turned into, oh, that's just the Elven language now. Oh, nice. Understand nice. Each other. And I, I'm going to get teary up. Like their English improved over the year and just over three months. And everyone was learned. Like it was just a great opportunity to share 
in a real life culture and in a, in a fake world and a made up world. So it's just gatekeeping needs to stop. We're in 2021. Um, <laughs> we don't need the neck beards telling us we can't play. <laughs> we, know we can play. And if you're a player in a, in a position where your DM's a dick, uh, come to the nerd asylum. We will take care of you. You can come <laughs> see me. And, uh, you know, we don't have to deal with that. We don't have to, we don't have to deal with that. There's so many other players that want you at their table. Right. DMs that want you and what you have to bring to the table. We don't need the gatekeeping and it's fine to bring politics. It's fine to bring in real world problems into your D and D world because you're going to have real world problems or humanoids. That's what they do. Um, (laughs) It brings good story. It does. It brings great story. I had a wonderful game where um, we were all uh, basically forced into marriage really early on. And my character was gay and it was super not looked great on. And it was a fun way to explore that. And I was like, you know what? I actually learned something from that. Like my DM kind of flipped it on me and I was like, you know, I learned something there. Like, okay, that's a different point of view that I didn't think of before. And I'm glad that I had played and got to see the other side of like why people would think this way. I'm like, okay, see, we all learned something and we had a great discussion afterwards. Um, and yeah. so much of that that you take away when you dance around it, I think. It's just, also, are your players happy? Are they safe? Or is everyone having fun? So I, you know, I, you also went into that game knowing that that's what you were getting into. So I think what I'm kind of gathering here is making sure the ground rules uh, session zero, like everything is laid out and you're agreeing to it and you understand like this is how it's going to go. And having just being comfortable enough to say, I'm not comfortable with what's happening right now. I'm not comfortable with this scene. I'm not, son, please don't be naked. <laughs> hey, Lincoln. <laughs> I'll be right back. I'm going to go find some underpants really quick. Come on, son. I have noticed our Lincoln is starting to become a little uh, inverse to clothing. So we're going to see how that goes. <laughs> uh, well, on that note, let's let's round off here. Kat, one last time. Thank you, first of all, for coming on. And it, for those who might be interested again in getting involved in Nerd Asylum, um, you mentioned Demiplane, people that want to just kind of connect with what you are up to. What's the best way for people to do that? How can people sort of get involved in the things that you're, all the projects you're involved with? So um, if you are local to the Savannah, um, I am, again, I'm admining pretty much anything or monitoring anything that is involving D&D, RPG, tabletop gaming stuff. You can reach out to me there. Um, You can also reach out, uh, check out our Discord, which is the Nerd Asylum. Um, You can also check out thenerdasylum.com. You can check out uh, YouTube, which is the Nerd Asylum. You can check out Twitter, we Twitter, all the social medias, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I'm admin for the Nerd Asylum, so you will find me. I will be there. <laughs> I'm everywhere. It's really hard to not find me. Um, you can look me up on Facebook, my Cat Valentine uh, page as well. 
Twitch as well. We're live. We'll be live tonight, um, Mondays, every other Monday. Oh man, I'm on too many stuff. I'm in like six projects. <laughs> well, and I just want everybody out there to know that, you know, Kat, that you are hearing right now, this is Kat's persona on all of those sites too. Very friendly, very open. So don't be afraid to reach out. Kat, we really appreciate you coming on and talking about 5e today. Um, it's great to kind of really meet you in person for the first time, sort of. So really yeah. appreciate it. No, I really yeah, appreciate you. having you guys. So is it 3.5 and Pathfinder or is it 3.5 Pathfinder? So 3.5, as Amanda explained when we were talking about it. I, zo I zoned out. I, must have I know. Heard that one. 3.5, when D&D decided to make 4th edition, people were not ready for 4th edition. So Paizo, the game company, decided, heh, we're going, you have an open license, we're going to make 3.75, essentially. They made a slightly advanced version of 3.5, which is Pathfinder. Okay, okay. So they're mechanically so similar as to be almost indistinguishable. I mean, you can essentially pull one and use it in the other, and it's totally fine for the most part. So that's kind of why we put those two together. And I hope you all enjoy that. That was epic. Do you have any conclusions that you want to draw from those discussions of the various editions the edition wars who won the edition wars well you know so we just i just finally had a chance to play 5e with uh our your nephew which was amazing and we'll talk about that in a like bonus pod I think. yeah bonus pod and uh I, I liked how everything was in front of me and set out before me it was like you show up at home and your child has done the dishes and made dinner and done the laundry and the house is clean and it was just you walk straight into it and it's easy so it's a game that doesn't exist yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was nice we had the introductory set the starter set so we had pre-made characters okay. oh, and, and you know what we need to we, i just want to i know this has been a long time people are tired of listening to people that D20 that came with the starter set rolled more ones than I have ever seen in an entire game. Get your own die. Okay, that's to be addressed on a future bonus pod. But okay, I'm gonna kind of draw a conclusion here. Having listened to all of those. Now I have my obvious preference of AD&D second edition, but let me just say this. Dungeons and Dragons is awesome. You cannot go wrong. There is no edition war. Everybody that's out there, if, you, if you're if you arguing with people about there being one better than the other, just stop. It's stupid. Because you know what? Whatever people like, it's awesome. It's yeah. all D&D. It it's like bickering over what kind of cake's the best cake. Well, and you might have a preference. It's still as, cake. Is, is, yeah, but you might have a preference as to what cake you I'll like the most. I'll eat any kind of cake. But after talking to these people about the games that they loved, they were totally passionate about it. They were as awesome gamers, awesome into D&D, as anybody else that I've played with or known, and they all had their specific reasons for why they liked it, and I loved all of the people we spoke to. There is none that are better than the other. If that's the one you love, love it. Just love it. Just be into it. Who cares? Who cares? There's no addition war. Yeah. Everybody wins. Like, it's like, you're all, we're all ordering off the same menu, and it's delicious. 
<laughs> the D&D menu. So what we're taking out of this, just go and play some D&D. If go you like D&D... have some freaking fun. Seriously, go have some fun, play some Use D&D. Use your brain needs and make the imagination happen. Yep, and if one edition doesn't work out for you, try another one. If you like the fantasy genre, you're probably going to find something Don't that you like. Don't like math? Out go to 5e. Just straight <laughs> up go to 5e. Don't try any of the others. 5e. Love there. math? Do 2e. Nah, I think Pathfinder 3.5. Yeah, okay, maybe. There's a lot of skills. There's a lot of numbers. Compounding numbers. So many numbers. Lots of numbers. So many You know what's a high number? The amount of minutes this episode has gone on. So let's get out out. of here. If you have some thoughts on this, please email us at rpgsandbabymakes3 at gmail.com, which we will about to say in a pre-recorded message right after I'm done talking. Again, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe on YouTube. Give us a like. Leave some comments. Subscribe on Apple Music. Listen to it on, on Spotify. Subscribe to our channel. Whatever you, wherever you get this content, please subscribe. Leave us good reviews. We would greatly appreciate it. And we can't wait to talk to you again soon. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, and just go eat that cake. Eat the cake. All the cake. I want some cake now. Me too. Mm-hmm. We don't have any cake, do we? Not today, but probably in the next couple of days. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. RPGs and Baby Makes 3 is a production of Gretchen and Rob sitting on their couch. Email the show at rpgsandbabymakes3 at gmail.com. You can find more episodes on Podbean, Spotify, and iTunes, as well as on our free Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash RPGs and Baby Makes 3.